Hello everyone, and welcome back. Now this time, unlike many times, I couldn't tell you why my webcam's not here. Here we go, I guess we'll use the old one, sure. it's At least it's showing up for work. Um, I'm pretty sure they're just like in competition, and so one of them is trying to, <laughs> trying to, uh, uh, trying to sort of outpace the other one. I don't know what I don't know what's going on here. I know I get better frame rate with the uh, with the other webcam, but this one will serve me just fine. Hello, folks. How do you do? How's everyone doing on this fine evening? Uh, are we a little early? Well, yes, we are because uh, I am trying to do just a bit of just a little bit of sound bites before we begin today. Um, we may even have more sound bites afterward um, because Dahlia has a uh, has one I want to try and throw in, but. Um, to begin with, I'm hoping that Sparkle Lovegood is in the building. Do we have a sparkle? Is there a sparkle? Oat in a boat. Muffin Man, hello. Tanisha, how you doing? Hearthook, welcome back. How are you? I hope everyone's doing quite well. What's everybody been up to this week? Dahlia says, I'm doing pretty well. Literally woke up an hour ago. We had a late last, late night last night uh, playing Halo After Among Us and Jackbox. That's a pretty good lineup. Hearthook, I'm glad you're doing well. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask, how how uh, how did Among Us go last night? I hope y'all had a good time. And uh, I know there's new there's new Halo stuff coming out, right? Is that what was on the menu? Was that the, the Dahlia's Dark Room Fair last night? Sorry, I was just getting my AC turned on. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Tanisha. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to take a look at Halo. What's Halo at right now? What does the Halo collection look like on Steam? Because I don't see myself getting a console to play Halo. What is the Master Chief Collection? I'm going to assume it is not... Uh, I'm going to assume it's not cheap right now. Let me see. Okay, that's not bad as I thought. Not nearly as bad as I thought. Okay, I don't think it's on any kind of special right now, but it's not bad. Let's see... Reach, Combat Evolved Anniversary, Halo 2 Anniversary, Halo 3, ODST, and Halo 4. I mean, that's really not bad. Halo Infinite Multiplayer. Is that the new Is that the new big thing happening? Dolly says, Among Us was great. Uh, and don't forget, folks, uh, use the friends command anytime you like, uh, and you can find some of the links for friends of the channel here. One of the big ones is Dahlia's Dark Room, which is another Discord server, uh, sidecar adjacent, that uh, includes a lot of fun games. Uh, people meeting up to play, like, super regularly. And uh, last night, are you still on the every two weeks schedule, every other week, Dahlia? Um... Last night was an Among Us night, and it sounds like some more stuff as well. Uh, the new Halo Infinite 20th Anniversary Multiplayer just dropped, and it's free. Okay, now that's pretty wild. Okay, alright, hold on now. <laughs> hold on. Uh, Halo Anniversary um, Multiplayer? Cool. Where do I get it? How do I find it? Get, put put it at me. Do, do it to me. <laughs> 
how do I get my hands on this thing? <laughs> oh man, is it Steam? Is it on Steam? That's the trouble, because it's not on Steam. Like I said, don't have a console, not gonna get a console. I didn't even plan to have this. This box, uh, this this stream machine, uh, which I call Elrond, uh, that has the capability to play games is even trouble for me. Uh, Y'all know how I get. <laughs> Occasionally I'll find one. Uh, Splitgate, somewhat, but Warzone really did it to me. Warzone did it to me. Uh, <laughs> I found myself not even grinding Warzone, because I don't really like grinding. I don't care, I don't enjoy like, you know, just trying to put in hours toward a specific thing, whether it's aesthetic or functional, I just don't care for it. So it's not even grinding as much as just like, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so I had to go ahead and undownload it. Um, not because I enjoyed it, simply because I enjoyed it to the point where I would play it even at times where I, I wasn't necessarily having fun and I definitely had other stuff to do, so I went ahead and went ahead and uninstalled that sucker. Goodbye, Warzone. Um, and then I actually re-downloaded it briefly, um, what, two weeks ago? And then only had it for, I think, four days before I was like, you know, I'm just going to end up back in the same pattern. So I, I uninstalled it again. Uh, I have, a, I think, a healthier relationship with Splitgate. We'll see what the deal is um, with Halo if I end up getting my hands on that. Dolly says, Halo nerds unite for free multiplayer version of Halo Infinite. Um, but it's on Steam and Xbox Launcher, both on PC. Okay. Apparently, Steam is the more stable version. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> is this a good thing? Probably not, but I'll bet my snipe skills are going to be a lot better. Um, it's going to be weird. Honestly, honestly, last time I played Halo was deep, deep in in the in the gaming history of Sam. Um, I uh, I used to play at friends' houses. Um, this this Elrond here is the first device I've ever had, with the exception of some mobile games, um, that has ever had the capacity to run real games. And by real games, I mean semi up to date ones. Um, I have never owned a system. Uh, you know, we've we've had a like a, a Wii U, but I don't think that one really even counts as a as a console for most purposes. Um, and it was it sort of showed up after I was already you know doing other stuff out of the uh, out in the world. So um, that is sort of the extent of my games experience was playing you know with other people's systems um, at first because my parents weren't going to buy one for me. Um, I didn't have the money for it, and uh, also because. As, as time went on and I did have the money for it, I chose not to because I knew it would become something. <laughs> it, would become, it would become something. I guess I'll just leave it at that. It would be something. Uh, hey, Sparkle Lovegood. No, you didn't miss it. Uh, in fact, guess what I have in hand here? Sparkle Lovegood. Would you look at that? Tales of Beetle the Bard. We are going to kick off with a quick soundbite for you. Uh... And, uh, and then we're going to move into our reading for today, because we've actually got a relatively um, uh, short read-through today. I mentioned there are going to be two short streams. It was the first one and the third one. This today is the third stream, um, uh, and we're at about, we're, we're, we're less than 10,000 words today. Yeah, 9,100, uh, 9,700. As a matter of fact, so I think today is going to be the shortest reading of the whole book, uh, shorter even than the first one. So, uh, yeah, we've got a, we've got a little bit of time, so... Halo, um, you know, I, I used to play, uh, I just want to wrap up this Halo topic before we move into the soundbite. Um, uh, although we may end up back on Halo at, at the end of the stream today because we do have time. Um, I think back in the day, I really enjoyed Halo. I, I enjoyed Snipes, Snipes as much as I could sort of sit in the corner and 
find a fun spot, but for the most part, it was just, I was never good at them. I was never good at first-person shooters. All, all of my friends were better than I was. Uh, Tuna, for instance, uh, when we got linked up, he would just crush us in uh, multiplayer Call of Duty, that kind of stuff. And uh, then, I think over time, I think it was just, I enjoyed Warzone, and uh, now I enjoy Splitgate. So, uh, Splitgate is absolutely designed to feel exactly like Halo, except it's also got portals, and so... I'm wondering if, if I do try to jump back in, and I just, I probably have to, for me, for the, for the, for the people, <laughs> I'm probably gonna have to try out this Halo multiplayer, we'll see, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something, I'm, I'm not going to plan a stream, but we might have some sort of sneaky stream at some sort of sneaky weird time, uh, maybe some point next week, maybe, like, like when I'm, when I'm not traveling, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm not going to guarantee it. Uh, do it for the puppies, says Sparkle Lovegood. <laughs> oh, man. Puppies and kitten memes. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I think I might actually have a chance at it. Uh, Dolly says, what a lovely reading before Thanksgiving week. Yes, I think it's going to be fun. Um, and now, folks, uh, let's actually get into that. Now, if you're wondering what this is all about, you can head over to Patreon. Uh, you can find the Patreon in the links command. Um, uh, that is going to be a big bunch of links. That's the link to share that link tree right there. Uh, but if you head in there, you'll find a bunch of links pertaining to sidecar stories, including the Discord, where we do all of our sort of communication midweek. Uh, and by communication, I mean fun stuff. I post uh, pictures of the maps that we build for our Wednesday sessions. Uh, we talk about the books. I mean, there are still discussions going on for Harry Potter that ended almost a year ago. Um, uh, lots of fun discussion happening over in Discord. And uh, that is where... Uh, you can you can come hang out during the week, but of course another link on there is to the patreon and patrons are able to do something that I have found really fun so far and I hope y'all have as well uh, Patrons get to send me sound bites Essentially every month you get to send me a script and uh, Your sort of your your tier determines your word count But other than that it can be something funny like a tumblr meme It can be a script that you're writing for an animated something or other whatever you want to send me uh, I am a voice actor, and I want you to be my voice director. Uh, go ahead and send me voices to use, or, uh, you know, tones to hit. Whatever you want. Uh, if you want to check that out, go over to Patreon. Um, you can find the big sort of, uh, I've got a big post pinned right now with all sorts of links attached to it. And uh, one of those links is for sound bites, and you'll see it. It's highlighted blue in there in that post, so... Uh, go ahead and head over to Patreon if you're curious about this, if you want to start sending me that stuff. Um, and uh, remember, they are due by the 5th of every month. So, this one is from Sparkle Lovegood. Now, uh, we're not doing the whole book, obviously. We're going to cover, we're gonna cover the, uh, the first story from Tales of Beetle the Bard. Sparkle Lovegood, thank you very, very much for sending this one over. And I am going to... Uh, I'm going to find a little bit of art for this, shall we? Um, let's see if I can just go by the title. It does not appear so, because that'll be a little bit odd. Uh, oh, might have something here. Okay, we can work with this. Yeah, this will be good. All right. A bit of art. for our, Oh, man, it's already framed in perfectly. Mm. Delicious. Okay, now what's the deal here? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I invisible? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Excuse me? What's going on? Pardon me? Oh, 
Okay, straight up though, what is happening is the thing. That's my big question. Um, I'll try this, I guess. Okay, cool. So at least it it works over on this end. Oh no, it doesn't. No, it definitely doesn't. Okay, whatever. I'm going old school camera today. That's fine. Technology. Basically, I think I just need to commit. I think if I if I fully unplug my old webcam, my new webcam won't feel like it needs to compete with it, but I just I didn't want to commit because then I have to do it all the way across the board and I always forget something and then I have to do it live on stream, but instead now I get to do it live on stream every single week because something continues to go wrong every single week. Oh Dahlia, don't you come at me with that. That was very that was hundred percent Mrs. Doubtfire, wasn't it? Hello, children. <laughs> Hello, deities. Oh boy. Alright. <sighs> And as you can see, I'm reading directly, directly from the book. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to WSCS Sidecar Stories. Your home for classic rock and not classic rock, but actually reading. This one goes out to someone very special. Sparkle Lovegood, thank you so much. The Wizard and the Hopping Pot. There was once a kindly old wizard who used his magic generously and wisely for the benefit of his neighbors. Rather than reveal the true source of his power, he pretended that potions, charms, and antidotes sprang ready-made from the little cauldron he called his lucky cooking pot. From miles around, people came to him with their troubles, and the wizard was pleased to give his pot a stir and put things right. This well-beloved loop, this well-beloved wizard lived to a goodly age and then died, leaving all of his chattels to his only son. His son was of a very different disposition to his gentle father, who could not... Those who could not work magic were, to the son's mind, worthless, and he had often quarreled with his father's habit of dispensing magical aid to their neighbors. Upon the father's death, the son found hidden inside... Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Lots of honking. Excuse me. Pardon me. <laughs> Hello, Synthetic. How do you do? All right. Now let's let's try this again. And uh, I guess while I'm doing this, I might as well, while I'm paused here, ensure that I am properly connected over on Discord. It looks like I am. Yeah? Okay, cool. All right. Let's continue. This well-beloved wizard lived to a goodly age, and then died, leaving all of his chattels to his only son. This son was of a very different disposition to his gentle father. Those who could not work magic were, to the son's mind, worthless, and he had often quarreled with his father's habit of dispensing magical aid to their neighbors. Upon the father's death, the son found hidden inside the old cooking pot a small package bearing his name. He opened it, hoping for gold, but found instead a soft, thick slipper, much too small to wear and with no pair. A fragment of parchment within the slipper bore the words, In the fond hope, my son, that you will never need it. The son cursed his father's age-softened mind and threw the slipper back into the cauldron, resolving to use it henceforth as a rubbish pail. That very night, a peasant woman knocked on the front door. 
My granddaughter is afflicted by a crop of warts, sir, she told him. Your father used to mix a special poultice in that old cooking pot. Be gone, yelled the son. What do I care for your brat's warts? And he slammed the door in the old woman's face. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. And he slammed the door in the old woman's face. At once there came a loud clanging and banging from his kitchen. The wizard lit his wand and opened the door, and there, to his amazement, he saw his father's old cooking pot. It had sprouted a single foot of brass, and was hopping on the spot in the middle of the floor, making a fearful noise upon the flagstones. The wizard approached it in wonder, but fell back hurriedly when he saw that the whole pot's surface was covered in warts. Disgusting object, he cried, and he tried firstly to vanish the pot, then to clean it by magic, and finally to force it out of the house. None of his spells worked, however, and he was unable to prevent the pot hopping after him out of the kitchen then following him up to bed, clanging and banging loudly on every wooden stair. The wizard could not sleep all night for the banging of the warty old pot by his bedside, and next morning the pot insisted upon hopping after him to the breakfast table. Clang, 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 went the brass-footed pot, and the wizard had not even started his porridge when there came another knock at the door. An old man stood on the doorstep. It's my old donkey, sir, he explained. Lost she is, or stolen, and without her I cannot take my wares to the market, and my family's gonna go hungry tonight. And I'm hungry now, roared the wizard, and he slammed the door upon the old man. Clang, 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 went the cooking pot's single brass foot upon the floor, but now its clamor was mixed with the brays of a donkey and human groans of hunger echoing from the depths of the pot. <laughs> "'Be still! Be silent!' cried the wizard, but not all his magic powers could quiet the warty pot, which hopped at his heel all day, braying and groaning and clanging no matter where he went or what he did. That evening there came a third knock upon the door, and there upon the threshold stood a young woman, sobbing as though her heart would break. "'My baby's grievously ill,' she said. "'Will you please help us?' Your father bade me to come see if troubled. But the wizard slammed the door on her. And now the tormenting pot filled to the brim with salt water and slopped tears all over the floor as it hopped and brayed and groaned and sprouted more warts. Though no more villagers came to seek help at the wizard's cottage for the rest of the week, the pot kept him informed of their many ills. Within a few days, it was not only braying and groaning and slopping and hopping and sprouting warts, but it also choked and retched, crying like a baby, whining like a dog, and spewing out bad cheese and sour milk in a plague of hungry slugs. The wizard could not sleep or eat with the pot beside him, but the pot refused to leave, and he could not silence it or force it to be still. At last, the wizard could bear it no more. 
Bring me all your problems, all your troubles and your woes, he screamed, fleeing into the night and the pot hopping behind him along the road into the village. Come, let me cure you, mend you, and comfort you. I have my father's cooking pot and I shall make you well. And with the foul pot still bounding along behind him, he ran up the street casting spells in every direction. Inside one house, the little girl's warts vanished as she slept. The lost donkey was summoned at an instant from a briar patch and sat down softly at its stable. The sick baby was doused in dittany and woke well and rosy. At every house of sickness and sorrow, the wizard did his best, and gradually the cooking pot beside him stopped groaning and retching and became quiet, shiny, and clean. Well, pot... <laughs> asked the trembling wizard as the sun began to rise. <sighs> the pot burped out a single slipper he had thrown into it and permitted him to fit it onto the brass foot. Together, they set off back to the wizard's house, the pot's footstep muffled at last. But from that day forward, the wizard helped the villagers, like his father before him, lest the pot cast off its slipper and begin to hop once more. Ta-da! There we go. That is the tale of The Wizard and the Hopping Pot uh, by Beetle the Bard. Thank you very much to Sparkle Lovegood for uh, requesting that for sound bites. I appreciate you, and I appreciate all of my patrons. We might indeed get into another sound bite later on in this stream uh, if we've got time for it. But if we're going to have time for it, we got to jump right in, don't we? Hello, everyone. Whoa, not... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just rushing around. Rushing around between my random scenes. Never to fear. Uh, synthetic, hello. Sparkle Love Good. I'm glad you were here for that one. Uh, Tanisha, because I, I did realize this week, like, ooh, i got to jump on this because we're not going to be having any streams next week. Uh, we are going to have one stream remaining uh, on the 30th for this month, but uh, I recognize that i got to jump on these if I want to get them all done in a month. Um, and uh, Dahlia, I think I should be able to get most of yours. Can I get all of them? I am not sure. We shall see. Um, I do still have Ike Synthetic. I do indeed. Uh, not on hand here. Ike still hangs out in my bedroom for right now because I have a little shelf up there. It's the one aesthetically pleasing thing I've ever created. Um... And it's that shelf. I think I've put it on the, um, oh, yeah, synthetic. Uh, Ike hatched around, what, book five or six? Ike hatched way back when. It might have even been earlier than that. It might have been book four. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, long hatched synthetic. Uh, still the same size. Weirdly, still only about uh, five inches long from, uh, from, from toe to tail tip. Sparkle Lovegood, thank you very, very much for the resubscription. I appreciate you. Sparkle Lovegood says book four it was, uh, which does seem appropriate because a lot of lot of dragon discussion goes into that one. Now, folks, Jessica, uh, Big Mama, hello. How y'all doing? Roll it. I know you're lurking, and I am cool with that. I love lurks. Um, never you fear it. <laughs> Jade says, and this is uh, referencing our, our discussion about Halo earlier. Jade says, Tuna is good at everything. It certainly seems that way. Uh, I will say, I was able to, during during our boot and scoot days, I think I was able to get good at different things than Tuna. There were parts of that game that I could do better than Tuna, but I was still, I couldn't hit shots like Tuna could, what have you, so. Oh, certainly not Norberta size. Synthetic. No, not even close. 
Orly Rose, I think it's just a young dragon. It, I think I think Ike is just a very young dragon. Uh, he's very well behaved. He's very still. He holds very still, and he hangs out up um, up on the like I said, the only aesthetically pleasing thing I've ever put together. Uh, it's my it's the top shelf on the bookshelf in the bedroom. So unless un- until I've actually got a place for it here, um, we're gonna leave it in there and don't tell anyone. But it's because Mama Cass likes it. She asked me, "Hey, until you've actually until you're actually sure where you're gonna put everything, can you leave that shelf because it looks nice?" And she doesn't want me to take all the nice looking things and bring them into the office here. Yeah, Jade says, dragons that grow real big grow very slowly. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Uh, So, folks, let's do some discussion for today. Now, we have got... No, don't don't do some... Don't do any telling. Dahlia. Dahlia. Hush, 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 hush. No, 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 no. It's fine. No one needs to know anything else. Today, book five, Last of the Olympians. Um, or excuse me, the uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. This is the last book, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Last Olympian. Now, who is the last Olympian? Well, believe it or not, we're going to find out today. I just realized I need to make a quick note. Um, I need to make sure to note for when I'm editing these later on. I want to make sure that I have collected this. Um, this one... Uh, 18, 21. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm just trying. Oh, I'm just trying to make sure to note um, who uh, when I've got sound bites in. I want to make sure that I know where they're at so I can go back and edit them uh, with ease. Let's see. Okay, and now I'm on the wrong spreadsheet. I'm sure this is all going to be fine. All right, cool. So we are. Now deep into book five, um, and we are today, we are going to find out who is the last Olympian. Um, pretty big, knowing that the uh, the title of the book is going to be hitting us very shortly. Um, now, I'm going to say right now, before we actually get into our review here, uh, don't forget to go vote. Uh, it is over in the, uh, it's over in the Discord. It is the flying vote. It's underneath, the, it's in the sort of category of flying sidecar channels there. Um, if you want to find it, you'll be able to see that there's an event happening in Discord right now. Um, uh, Discord events that are currently running, they'll be up near the top of the left-hand sidebar. You can just click the link there. It'll take you directly to the channel. Uh, but don't forget to vote because that is going to be ending tonight. This is the this is the last uh, last day of that vote, so we're going to be finding out very shortly what our next series is going to be for Thursdays. Now, let's talk a bit of review. At the beginning of this book, um, kind of toward the end of the last book, Nico is trying to convince Percy that this plan that Nico has, we don't know what it is, but he explains it to Percy and says that although it is risky, although it is dangerous, it's the only chance Percy might have of defeating the titans and claiming a victory for the gods um chapter one i go cruising with explosives and chapter two i meet some fishy relatives um we see sort of one of the first offensives in like the real kickoff of hostilities uh in this war um the 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 ship the princess andromeda is heading toward new york and percy and beckendorf manage to blow the thing up but not without losing beckendorf um they head down to the realm of Poseidon for the first time in Percy's life, and 
Percy sees it's not going well down there. There's a whole front to this war that's been raging for a long time now. Um, uh, longer than open hostilities up above up above the surface. But uh, his dad it kind of has his detention, his detentions, his attentions focused down there. Uh, finally, chapter three, I get a sneak peek at my death. Percy heads back to camp. And uh, through the next three chapters, we we sort of we're not doing normal camp stuff. There's no capture the flag going on. It's all preparations for battle. It's all training. It's all planning and strategizing. Um, Percy uh, has to finally hear the rest of the prophecy, and the prophecy essentially says, you know, well, let me let me actually find the thing and, and read it directly to you because I think that'll probably be important. Um, Let's see, they grab the thing. I'm just skimming through until I find the actual text of it. Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Here's the prophecy, because I don't want to get any parts of it wrong. A half-blood of the eldest gods shall reach sixteen against all odds, and see the world in endless sleep. The hero's soul, cursed blade, shall reap. A single choice shall end his days. Olympus to preserve or raise. There it is. Remember, raise, in this case, R-A-Z-E, means to, you know, crash it to the ground, to destroy it. Um, essentially, he's going to make this, he's going to make this big choice. The hero's soul, cursed blade shall reap. So, some hero is going to have their soul sort of shredded from their body. We can guess, of course, as to who that might be. We can guess as to what that weapon might be, um, because, of course, we know that this is something that that uh, Cronus's new scimitar, scimitar, uh, Cronus's new scythe does indeed do. That is one of its many features. Uh, he got it on Skymall. Uh, chapter four, we burn a metal shroud. Of course, this is to honor Beckendorf and Beckendorf's sacrifice. Lots of discussion about what to do next. Um, and uh, let's see, lots of, honestly, lots of sort of uh, good dramatic moments here in camp as the various sort of team good guys here. We'll say, well, we won't say that. We will, we will instead say team gods as opposed to team titans. Uh, team titans! Uh, team gods, really, there's a lot of tension Um uh, Selena and uh, you know she had been dating Beckendorf and so she is really hurt by everything that has happened recently. Um, Annabeth has some strategic ideas but isn't entirely sure what to do next. Um, it's it's a little messy, frankly. Uh, at the end of everything, Percy is mostly just convinced that whatever's going on, the, the whatever offenses they see, the Princess Andromeda, this uh, this um, uh, Titan Typhon. Now marching across the Midwest toward New York City, whatever these things are, they're not the main offense. They're not the main offense, excuse me. They're not the main attack. Whatever the Titans are truly planning, these are just distractions. These other things, they're just distractions. Finally, chapter five, I drive my dog into a tree. We haven't seen Grover for a little while, and uh, we haven't seen uh, Nico for a little bit. And suddenly, here's Nico in camp. Um, Nico essentially says, look, if we don't go now, we're not going to have a chance to go. And so Percy finally agrees. All right. What do we do next? And Nico essentially says, uh, hop aboard Mrs. O'Leary, the hellhound. Uh, we're going shadow diving. What is it called? Um, 
Oh, I can't remember what it is. Uh, shadow, shadow, uh, uh, a shadow travel. There we go. <laughs> shadow travel. There you are. All right, folks, are you ready to get into it? Because I pretty much am. Uh, Jellical Moon, hello. You've been lurking uh, since last summer? Fantastic. I remember being really bored during quarantine, decided to research uh, some Harry Potter on YouTube and found you. Your reading has been great and I love listening to them before bed. Just wanted to hop in there and say hi and continue my lurking. Jellicle Moon, thank you very, very much. Uh, yeah, I hope you can find the, the new ones over on Spotify. Uh, basically, search um, Flying Sidecar wherever you get your wherever you get your uh, your podcast and you should be able to find uh, the old episodes now that they're not on YouTube anymore. So, uh, hello, Richard. How you doing? Uh, Big Mama. <laughs> you heard that in your head too? Fantastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, Richard, uh, the, the Greek mythology aspect of this, a really fun thing to explore. Um, it's the sort of thing where uh, I think anybody who read like uh, Magic Treehouse series when they were younger, you will sort of have that somewhere deep inside you, which is that like, I just want to see magic involved with everything. I want a little exploration into all sorts of stuff. And this is a great exploration of Greek mythology sort of hiding underneath everything. Now, let me make sure I've got my mouse setting correct. Okay. Yep, looking good. All right, tally-ho gang, let's read. As per usual, if you've got anything you want to talk about, I would love to have you put that in chat there. Something along the lines of Richard saying I'm making a D&D campaign based on Greek mythology. I assume then that you have got Mythic Odysseys of Theros in your hand, uh, Richard, because that looked like a really interesting resource. Have not read it. I only skimmed it, but it looked pretty cool. All right. Now, let's begin. Chapter 6. My cookies get scorched. I don't recommend shadow travel if you're scared of A, the dark, B, cold shivers up your spine, C, strange noises, or D, going so fast you feel like your face is peeling off. In other words, it was pretty awesome. One minute I couldn't see anything, I could only feel Mrs. O'Leary's fur and my fingers wrapped around the bronze links of her dog collar. The next minute the shadows melted into a new scene. We were on the cliff. We were on a cliff in the woods of Connecticut. At least it looked like Connecticut from the few times I'd been there. Lots of trees, low stone walls, big houses. Down one side of the cliff, a highway cut through the ravine. Down the other side was someone's backyard. The property was huge, more wilderness than lawn. The house was a two-story white colonial. Despite the fact that it was right on the other side of the hill from a highway, it felt like it was in the middle of nowhere. I could see a light glowing in the kitchen. A rusty old swing set stood under an apple tree. I couldn't imagine living in a house like this, with an actual yard and everything. I'd lived in a tiny apartment or a school dorm my whole life. If this was Luke's home, I wondered why he'd ever wanted to leave. Mrs. O'Leary staggered. I remembered what Nico had said about shadow travel draining her, so I slipped off her back. She let out a huge, toothy yawn that would have scared a T-Rex, then turned in a circle and flopped down so hard the ground shook. Nico appeared right next to me, as if the shadows had darkened and created him. He stumbled, but I caught his arm. I'm okay, he managed, rubbing his eyes. <laughs> How did you do that? Practice. A few times running into walls, 
a few accidental trips to China. Mrs. O'Leary started snoring. If it hadn't been for the roar of the traffic behind us, I'm sure she would have woken up the whole neighborhood. Are you going to take a nap, too? I asked Nico. He shook his head. The first time I shadow-traveled, I passed out for a week. Now it just makes me a little drowsy, but I can't do it more than once or twice a night. Mrs. O'Leary won't be going anywhere for a while. So we got some quality time in Connecticut. I gazed at the white colonial house. What now? We ring the doorbell, Nico said. If I were Luke's mom, I would not have opened my door in the middle of the night for two strange kids. But I wasn't anything like Nico's mom. I knew that even before we reached the front door. The sidewalk was lined with those little stuffed beanbag animals you see in gift shops. There were miniature lions, pigs, dragons, hydras, even a teeny minotaur in a little minotaur diaper. Judging from their sad shape, the beanbag creatures had been sitting out here for a while since the snow melted last spring, at least. One of the hyenas had a tree sapling sprouting between its necks. The front porch was infested with wind chimes. Shiny bits of metal and glass clinked in the breeze. Brass ribbons tinkled like water and made me realize I needed to use the bathroom. I didn't know how Miss Castellan could stand all the noise. The front door was painted turquoise. The name Castellan was written in English, and below it in Greek— Nico looked at me. Ready? He'd barely tapped the door when it swung open. Luke! The old lady cried happily. She looked like someone who enjoyed sticking her fingers in electrical sockets. Her white hair stuck out in tufts all over her head. The pink house dress was covered in scorch marks and smears of ash. When she smiled, her face looked unnaturally stretched, and the high voltage light in her eyes made me wonder if she was blind. She hugged Nico. I was trying to figure out why she thought Nico was Luke. They looked absolutely nothing alike when she smiled at me and said, Luke! She forgot all about Nico and gave me a hug. She smelled like burned cookies. She was as thin as a scarecrow, but it didn't stop her from crushing me. Come in, she insisted. I got your lunch ready. She ushered us inside. The living room was even weirder than the front lawn. Mirrors and candles filled every available space. I couldn't look anywhere without seeing my own reflection. Above the mantel, a little bronze Hermes flew around the second hand of a ticking clock. I tried to imagine the god of messengers ever falling in love with this old woman, but the idea was too bizarre. Then I noticed the framed picture on the mantel, and I froze. It was exactly like Rachel's sketch. Luke, around nine years old, with blonde hair and a big smile and two missing teeth. The lack of a scar on his face made him look like a different person. Carefree and happy. How could Rachel have known about that picture? This way, my dear. Miss Castellan steered me toward the back of the house. Oh, I, I told them you would come back. I knew it. She sat us down at the kitchen table. 
Stacked on the counter were hundreds, I mean hundreds, of Tupperware boxes with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches inside. The ones in the bottom were green and fuzzy, like they'd been there for a long time. The smell reminded me of my sixth grade locker, and that's not a good thing. On top of the oven was a stack of cookie sheets. Each one had a dozen burned cookies on it. In the sink was a mountain of empty plastic Kool-Aid pitchers. A beanbag Medusa sat by the faucet like she was guarding the mess. Miss Castellan started humming as she got out peanut butter and jelly and started making a new sandwich. Something was burning in the oven. I got the feeling more cookies were on the way. Above the sink, taped all around the window, were hundreds of little pictures cut from magazines and newspaper ads. Pictures of Hermes from the FTD Flowers logo and Quickie Cleaners. Pictures of the Caduceus from medical ads. My heart sank. I wanted to get out of that room, but Miss Castellan kept smiling at me as she made the sandwich, like she didn't know I was like she was making sure I didn't bolt. Nico coughed. Um, Mrs. Miss Castellan, we need to know about your son. Oh yes, they told me he would never come back, but I knew better. She patted my cheek affectionately, giving me peanut butter racing stripes. When did you last see him? Nico asked. Her eyes lost focus. He was so young when he left, she said wistfully. Third grade, that's too young to run away. He said he'd be back for lunch, and I waited. He he likes peanut butter sandwiches and cookies and Kool-Aid. He'll be back for lunch very soon. Then she looked at me and smiled. Why, look, there you are. You look so handsome. You got your father's eyes. She turned toward the pictures of Hermes above the sink. Now, there's a good man. Yes, indeed. He comes to visit me, you know. The clock kept ticking in the other room. I wiped the peanut butter off my face and looked at Nico pleadingly, like, Can we get out of here now? Ma'am, Nico said. What, um, what happened to your eyes? Her gaze seemed fractured, like she was trying to focus on him through a kaleidoscope. Ah, Luke, you know the story. It was right before you were born, wasn't it? I, I'd always been special, able to see through the, whatever they call it. The mist, I said. Yes, dear. She nodded encouragingly. And they offered me an important job. That's how special I was. I glanced at Nico, but he appeared as confused as I was. What sort of job? I asked. What happened? Miss Castellan frowned. Her knife hovered over the sandwich bread. Oh, dear me, it didn't work out, did it? Your father warned me not to try. He said it was too dangerous, but I had to. It was my destiny. 
And now, now, I still can't get the images out of my head. They make everything seem so fuzzy. Uh, w w would you like some cookies? She pulled the tray out of the oven and dumped a dozen lumps of chocolate chip charcoal on the table. Luke was so kind, Miss Castellan murmured. He left to protect me, you know. He said if he went away, the monsters wouldn't threaten me. But I, t I told him the monsters are no threat. They sit outside on the sidewalk all day and they never come in. She picked up the little stuffed Medusa from the windowsill. Do they, Mrs. Medusa? No, 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 no threat at all. She beamed at me. I'm so glad you came home. I knew you weren't ashamed of me. I shifted in my seat. I imagined being Luke, sitting at this table, eight or nine years old and just beginning to realize my mother wasn't all there. Miss Castellan, I said. Mom, she corrected. Uh, yeah. Have you seen Luke since he left home? Well, of course. I didn't know if she was imagining that or not. For all I knew, every time the mailman came to the door, he was Luke. But Nico sat forward expectantly. When? He asked. When did Luke last visit you? Oh, well, it was... Oh, goodness. A shadow passed across her face. The last time he looked so different. A scar, a terrible scar in his voice, so full of pain. His eyes, I said. Were they gold? Gold? She blinked. No, how silly. Luke has got blue eyes, beautiful blue eyes. So Luke really had been here. And this had happened before last summer, before he'd turned into Kronos. Miss Castellan? Nico put his hand on the old woman's arm. This is very important. Did he ask you for anything? She frowned as if trying to remember. My, my blessing. Isn't that sweet? She looked at us uncertainly. He was going to a river. Uh, to a river, and, and he said he needed my blessing. I gave it to him. Of course I did. Nico looked at me triumphantly. Thank you, ma'am. That's all the information we... Miss Castellan gasped. <gasps> she doubled over, and her cookie tray clattered to the ground. Nico and I jumped to our feet. Miss Castellan, I said. She straightened. I scrambled away and almost fell over the kitchen table because her eyes, her eyes were glowing green. My child, she rasped in a much deeper voice, must protect him. Hermes, help not my child, not his fate, no. She grabbed Nico by the shoulders and began to shake him as if to make him understand. Not his fate. Nico let out a strangled scream and pushed her away. He grabbed the hilt of his sword. 
Percy, we need to get out! Suddenly, Miss Castellan collapsed. I lurched forward and caught her before she could hit the edge of the table. I managed to get her into a chair. Uh, Miss, Mrs. C? I asked. Oops. Miss C? I asked. She muttered something incomprehensible and shook her head. Oh, goodness. I, I dropped the cookies. How silly of me. She blinked, and her eyes were back to normal. Or at least what they had been before. The green glow was gone. Are you okay? I asked. Oh, of course, my dear. I'm fine. Why do you ask? I glanced at Nico, who mouthed the word, Leave. Uh, Miss C, you were telling us something? I said. Something about your son. What was I? She said dreamily. Oh, yes, his blue eyes. We were talking about his blue eyes. Oh, such a handsome boy. We have to go, Nico said urgently. We'll tell Luke. Um, we'll tell him that you said hello. But you can't leave. Miss Castellan got shakily to her feet, and I backed away. I felt s silly being scared of a frail old woman, but the way her voice had changed, the way that she'd grabbed Nico. I may as well be here soon, she promised. He'll want to see his boy. Uh, maybe next time, I said. Thank you for... I looked down at the burnt cookies scattered all over the floor. Thanks for everything. She tried to stop us, to offer us Kool-Aid, but I had to get out of that house. On the front porch, she grabbed my wrist, and I almost jumped out of my skin. Luke, at least be safe. Promise me you'll be safe. I will. Mom. That made her smile. She released my wrist, and as she closed the front door, I could hear her talking to the candles. He will be safe. I told you he would be. As the door shut, Nico and I ran. The little beanbag animals on the sidewalk seemed to grin at us as we passed. Back at the cliff, Mrs. O'Leary had found a friend. A cozy campfire crackled in a ring of stones. A girl of about eight years old was sitting cross-legged next to Mrs. O'Leary, scratching the hellhound's ears. The girl had mousy brown hair and a simple brown dress. She wore a scarf over her head, so she looked like a pioneer kid, like the ghost of Little House on the Prairie or something. She poked the fire with a stick, and it seemed to glow more richly red than a normal fire. Hello, she said. My first thought was, monster. When you're a demigod and you find a sweet little girl alone in the woods, that's typically a good time to draw your sword and attack. Plus, the encounter with Miss Castellan had rattled me pretty bad. But Nico bowed to this little girl. Hello again, lady. She studied me with eyes as red as the firelight. I decided it was safest to bow. Sit, Percy Jackson, she said. Would you like some dinner? 
After staring at moldy peanut butter sandwiches and burned cookies, I didn't have much of an appetite. But the girl waved her hand, and a picnic appeared on the edge of the fire. There were plates of roast beef, baked potatoes, buttered carrots, fresh bread, and a whole bunch of other foods I hadn't had in a long time. My stomach started to rumble. It was the kind of home-cooked meal people are supposed to have, but never do. The girl made a five-foot-long dog biscuit appear for Mrs. O'Leary, who began happily tearing it to shreds. I sat next to Nico. We picked up our food, and I was about to dig in when I thought better of it. I scraped my meal into the... I scraped... I sat next to Nico. We picked up our food, and I was about to dig in when I thought better of it. I scraped part of my meal into the flames, the way that we do at camp. For the gods, I said. The little girl smiled. Thank you. As tender of the flame, I get a share of every sacrifice, you know? Oh, I recognize you now, I said. The first time I came to camp, you were sitting by the fire, in the middle of the commons area. You did not stop to talk, the girl recalled sadly. Alas, most never do. Nico talked to me. He was the first in many years. Everyone rushes about. No time for visiting family. You're Hestia, I said. Goddess of the hearth. She nodded. Okay, so she looked eight years old. I didn't ask. I learned that gods could look any way that they pleased. My lady, Nico asked, why aren't you with the other Olympians fighting Typhon? I'm not much for fighting. Her red eyes flickered. I realized they weren't just reflecting the flames. They were filled with flames. But not like Ares' eyes. Hestia's eyes were warm and cozy. Besides, she said, someone has to keep the home fires burning while the other gods are away. So you're guarding Mount Olympus, I asked. Guard may be too strong a word, but if you ever need a warm place to sit and a home-cooked meal, you are welcome to visit. Now eat. My plate was empty before I knew it. Nico scarfed his down just as fast. Oh, that was great, I said. Thank you, Hestia. She nodded. Did you have a good visit with May Castellan? For a moment, I'd almost forgotten the old lady with her bright eyes and her maniacal smile, the way she suddenly seemed possessed. What is wrong with her, exactly? I asked. She was born with a gift, Hestia said. She could see through the mist. Like my mother, I said. And I was also thinking, like Rachel. But the glowing green eyes thing. Some bear the curse of sight better than others, the goddess said sadly. For a while, May Castellan had many talents. She, she attracted the attention of Hermes himself. They had a beautiful baby boy. For a brief time, she was happy, and then she went too far. I remembered what Miss Castellan had said. They offered me an important job. It didn't work out. I wondered what kind of job left you like that.
One minute she was all happy, I said, and then she was freaking out about her son's fate, like she knew he'd been turned into Kronos. What, what happened to divide her like that? The goddess's face darkened. That is a story I do not like to tell. But May Castellan saw too much. If you are to understand your enemy, Luke, you must understand his family. I thought about the sad little pictures of Hermes taped to May Castellan's sink. I wondered if Miss Castellan had been so crazy when Luke was little. That green-eyed fit would have seriously scared a nine-year-old kid. And if Hermes never visited, if he left Luke alone with his mom all those years... It's no wonder Luke ran away, I said. I mean, it wasn't right to leave his mom like that, but still, he was just a kid. Hermes shouldn't have abandoned them. Hestia scratched behind Mrs. O'Leary's ears. The hound wagged her tail and accidentally knocked over a tree. It's easy to judge others, Hestia warned. But will you follow Luke's path? Seek the same powers. Nico set down his plate. We've got no choice, my lady. It's the only way Percy stands a chance. Hmm. Hestia opened her hand and the fire roared. Flames shot thirty feet into the air. Heat slapped me in the face. And the fire died back down to normal. Not all powers are spectacular. Hestia looked at me. Sometimes the hardest power to master is the power of yielding. Do you believe me? I... uh-huh, I said. Anything to keep her from messing with her flame powers again. The goddess smiled. You are a good hero, Percy Jackson. Not too proud. I like that. But you have much to learn. When Dionysus was made a god, I gave up my throne for him. It was the only way to avoid a civil war among the gods. It, uh, it unbalanced the council, I remembered. Suddenly there were seven guys and five girls. Hestia shrugged. It was the best solution. Not a perfect one. Now I tend the fire. I fade slowly into the background. No one will ever write epic poems about the deeds of Hestia. Most demigods don't even stop to talk to me. But that's no matter. I keep the peace. I yield when necessary. Can you do this? I don't know what you mean. She studied me. Perhaps not yet. But soon. Will you continue your quest? Is that why you're here? To warn me against going? Hestia shook her head. I'm here because when all else fails, when all the other mighty gods have gone off to war, I am all that's left. Home. Hearth. I am the last Olympian. You must remember me when you face your final decision. I didn't like the way she said final. I looked at Nico, and then back at Hestia's warm, glowing eyes. I have to continue, my lady. 
I, I have to stop Luke. I mean, Kronos. Hestia nodded. Very well. I cannot be of much assistance, beyond what I've already told you. But since you sacrificed to me, I can return to... I can return you to your own hearth. I will see you again, Percy. On Olympus. Her tone was ominous, as though our next meeting would not be happy. The goddess waved her hand, and everything faded. Suddenly I was home. Nico and I were sitting on the couch in my mom's apartment on the Upper East Side. That was the good news. The bad news was that the rest of the living room was occupied by Mrs. O'Leary. I heard a muffled yell from the bedroom. Paul's voice said, Who put this wall of fur in the doorway? Percy? My mom called out. Are you here? Are you all right? I'm here, I shouted back. Mrs. O'Leary tried to turn in a circle to find my mom, knocking all the pictures off the walls. She's only met my mom once before. Long story, but she loves her. It took a few minutes, but we finally got things worked out. After destroying most of the furniture in the living room and probably making our... our, It's a good thing today is a little bit of a short one because I can feel my mouth going all morbidly. Going all morbidly. I gotta do my. I didn't do my warm ups beforehand, and it was a mistake. Especially trying to do a little bee, little tiny bitty bitty Hestia voice. No good. No good at all. In a few minutes, we finally got things worked out. After destroying most of the furniture in the living room and probably making our neighbors really mad, we got my parents out of the bedroom and into the kitchen, where we all sat around the kitchen table. Mrs. O'Leary still took up the entire living room, but she'd settled her head in the kitchen doorway so she could see us, which made her happy. My mom tossed her a ten-pound family-sized tube of ground beef, which disappeared down her gullet. Paul poured lemonade for the rest of us while I explained our visit to Connecticut. I need to pause for just a moment. What on earth was your plan with ten pounds of ground beef? Miss, Mrs. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ten pounds is too much. What were you gonna do with all that ground beef? Like the like a football of ground beef is about three pounds. I'm talking like a big NFL football of ground beef is about three pounds. Those those big tubes, the ones that you typically see, that's three pounds. You had three of those plus some. What were you doing with all that ground beef? Maybe she was making meatballs for a cookout or something. Okay. All right. Can't let myself get too distracted by it. (laughs) So, it's true. Paul stared at me like he'd never seen me before. He was wearing his white bathrobe, now covered in hellhound fur, and his salt and pepper hair was sticking up in every direction. All the talk about monsters and being a demigod, it really is true. I nodded. Last fall, I'd explained to Paul who I was. 
My mom had backed me up, but until this moment, I don't think he really believed us. I'm sorry about Mrs. O'Leary, I said, destroying the living room and all. Paul laughed like he was delighted. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is awesome. I mean, when I saw the hoof prints on the Prius, I thought maybe, but, but this... He patted Mrs. O'Leary's snout. The living room shook. Which either meant a SWAT team was breaking the door down or Mrs. O'Leary was wagging her tail in the other room. I couldn't help but smile. Paul was a pretty cool guy, even if he was my English teacher as well as my stepdad. Thanks for not freaking out, I said. Oh, I, I'm freaking out, he promised, his eyes wide. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. Yeah, well, I said, you may not be so excited when you hear what's happening. I told Paul and my mom about Typhon and the gods and the battle that was sure to come. Then I told them Nico's plan. My mom laced her fingers around her lemonade glass. She was wearing her old blue flannel bathrobe. She was wearing her old blue flannel bathrobe, and her hair was tied back. Recently, she'd started writing a novel, like she'd wanted to do for years, and I could tell she'd been working on it late into the night because the circles under her eyes were darker than usual. Behind her at the kitchen table, behind her at the kitchen window, silvery moonlace glowed in the flower box. I brought the magical plant back from Calypso's island last summer, and it bloomed like crazy under my mother's care. The scent always calmed me down but it also made me sad because it reminded me of lost friends. <sighs> My mom took a deep breath, like she was thinking how to tell me no. Percy, it's dangerous, she said, even for you. Mom, I know. I could die. Nico explained that, but if we don't try, we'll all die, Nico said. He hadn't touched his lemonade. Miss Jackson, we don't stand a chance against an invasion. And there will be an invasion. An invasion of New York? Paul said. Is that even possible? How could we not see the... the... monsters? He said the word like he still couldn't believe this was real. I do not know, I admitted. I don't see how Kronos could just march into Manhattan, but the mist is strong. Typhon is trampling across the country right now, and the mortals think he's a storm system. Miss Jackson, Nico said, Percy needs your blessing. The process has to start that way. I wasn't sure until we met Luke's mom, but now I'm positive. This has only been done successfully twice before. Both times, the mother has to give her blessing. She had to be willing to let her son take the risk. You want me to blast this? She shook her head. It's crazy, Percy. Please? Mom, I can't do it without you. And if you survive this, this, this process? Then I go to war, I said. Me against Kronos. And only one of us is going to survive. I didn't tell her the whole prophecy about the soul reaping at the end of the days. She didn't need to know I was probably doomed. I could only hope I'd stop Kronos and save the rest of the world before I died. You're my son, she said miserably. I can't just... I 
could tell I'd have to push her harder if I wanted her to agree, but I didn't want to. I remembered poor Miss Castellan in her kitchen, waiting for her son to come home. And I realized how lucky I was. My mom had always been there for me, always tried to make things normal for me, even with the gods and monsters and stuff. She put up with me going off on adventures, but now I was asking her blessing to do something that would probably get me killed. I locked eyes with Paul, and some kind of understanding passed between us. Sally? He put his hand over my mother's hands. And hold for sound. Heck of a night out here in Southern California. Look out, gang. I'm just using my mute button. I guess why bother, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Chat, what are y'all up to? Uh, Dolly says, oh, poor buddy. I hope your throat is still... Uh, oh, I bet your throat is still upset from earlier this week after being sore yesterday. Uh, yes, it is. It is indeed. Um, uh, it's getting to a point where I, I always have these, like, crazy, uh, abominable canker sores and such, and I think that's what's going on back there. Oh, boy. Dolly says, I used to... Uh, I used to when I had a fridge with a freezer. It's been a long time, though. What are you doing? What are you doing with 10 pounds, though? With 10 pounds? Like, I do I do some meal prep stuff, and it is for two people, right? And I know, you know, maybe maybe she is doing some other stuff, but and I, and I, I recognize, like, y'all might have a reason to as well, but what are you doing with 10 pounds? What are you doing with 10 pounds? I want to know what y'all are doing with 10 pounds of ground beef in one go. But it can't be for an event. I guess. I guess that's fine. Jade says, cook some, leave the rest frozen for next time. All right. All right. Fair enough. Do you, like, parcel it out, though? I don't know. <laughs> Jade says, seems like legit sound effects for Manhattan. And Rowlett says, very true. They are, there's always honking and ambulances. And I will remind you all, uh, if you really enjoyed this idea of sort of the magic underneath New York City, but you were like, you know what? Not enough New York City for my taste. Well, uh, I would definitely encourage you to go listen to Dimension 20, The Unsleeping City. Um, truly fantastic. I think they might be my new sort of High, highest standard for um, uh, tabletop RPG storytelling. Uh, and I mean that by, like, maybe a decent margin. They they really, truly do an amazing job. And so Fantasy High, uh, but especially The Unsleeping City. Okay, there we go. It's on YouTube now. Go get it. it I think it's on Spotify as well. I'm going to start putting links over in, over in Discord tonight. I locked eyes with Paul. And some kind of understanding passed between us. Sally? He put his hands over my mother's hands. I can't claim to know what you and Percy have gone through all these years. But it sounds to me... It sounds like Percy is doing something noble. I wish I had that much courage. I got a lump in my throat. I didn't get compliments like that too much. My mom stared at her lemonade. 
She looked like she was trying not to cry. I thought about what Hestia had said, about how hard it was to yield, and I figured maybe my mom was finding that out. Percy? She said. I give you my blessing. I didn't feel any different. No magic glow lit the kitchen or anything. I glanced at Nico. He looked more anxious than ever, but he nodded. It's time. Percy? My mom said. One last thing. If you, if you survive this fight with Kronos, send me a sign. She rummaged through her purse and handed me her cell phone. Mom, I said, you know demigods and phones. I know, she said, but just in case. If you're not able to call, maybe a, a sign I could see from anywhere in Manhattan to let me know that you're okay. Like Theseus, Paul suggested. He was supposed to raise white sails when he came home from Athens. When he came home to Athens. Except he forgot, Nico muttered. And his father jumped off the palace roof in despair. But yeah, other than that, it was a great idea. What about a, a flag or a flare? My mom said. From Olympus, Empire State Building. Something blue, I said. We'd had a running joke for years about blue food. It was my favorite color and my mom went out of her way to humor me. Every year on my birthday, Oh, every year, my birthday cake, my Easter basket, my Christmas candy canes always had to be blue. Yeah, my mom agreed. I'll watch for the signal, and I'll try to avoid jumping off palace roofs. She gave me one last hug. I tried not to feel like I was saying goodbye. I shook hands with Paul, then Nico and I walked to the kitchen doorway and looked at Mrs. O'Leary. Sorry, girl, I said. Shadow travel time again? She whimpered and crossed her paws over her snout. All right, where to? I asked Nico. Los Angeles? No need, he said. There's a closer entrance to the underworld. There you have it, folks. Chapter 6. That was Chapter 6 in one of two chapters that we shall be completing today. Uh, which means we are now between chapters. I'm going to take a quick five-minute break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to chat with y'all. Uh, but first, I'm going to set y'all up with a bit of a chatter break question. That is, what on earth are you doing with 10 pounds of ground beef? I want your answer in chat by the time I come back. If I don't have it, uh, I'm just going to assume that uh, you and like Professor Trelawney are at, like sort of making some sort of meatball golems, uh, and I don't trust you. Not in the least. <laughs> A chatter break question. Uh, this is the sort of stuff that we like to do before breaks, just because uh, I think it's good to talk about these chapters. As I've always said, you know, it's it's fun to read them, just to enjoy them. But it's even more fun often when we read them to understand them. Uh, and so let's let's get a little bit more understanding here. Um, and I think the big question that I want to ask here, because of course this chapter has had a really strong theme, right? There's been a really strong theme here, and that is sort of the mother and son relationship. 
Luke and his mother, Percy and his mother. Um, clearly, uh, things were very tense uh, in Luke's household back when he was younger. Um, it's one thing to sort of look at Luke and say, boy, just because he's just because, you know, Hermes didn't really like hang out with him much. Is that is that a reason to go, you know, this far? Was your was your childhood so bad? And then we meet his mother and it sounds like a lot of this stuff was probably extant. She was probably dealing with a lot of this before, um, before Luke was born. And so his experience at home would have been, I mean, I would say probably unsupportive at the very, very, very least. Um, you know, his mom does not seem uh, necessarily uh, fully equipped in her current state to try and provide for him. Um, and I get the sense it was probably worse than that. She was probably, you know, oftentimes uh, disconnected from the world as it was. Um, and uh, I think that would have been really, really tough on uh, on Luke. And especially if he had a sense of who his father was and that his father could have been around but chose not to which he would have had to live with a long time after he arrived at camp, that his father could have chosen to to be there, to help, to lend some of his power in some way to alleviate how he, Luke, grew up. Maybe to help his mom. And, uh, you know, part of this does make me wonder if it, how much of Luke's anger is at Hermes about leaving him, about leaving Luke, and how much of it is about leaving... Miss Castellan. How much of Luke's anger is about Hermes leaving his mother? Overall, though, I think my Chatterbreak question is um, these blessings. From a story perspective, it's fun to ask, what do we think these blessings are related to? But I think from a from a sort of very light study of literature perspective, a much more interesting question is what what played into these decisions by these two mothers? Why did why why would uh, Miss Castlin, Miss Jackson, why would they have wanted to say no? And ultimately, why did they say yes? There's your chatterbreak question. Why did they agree to give their blessing? Think about these relationships between these mothers and their sons important. With that, uh, we will come back in five minutes. You'll see a timer up here on screen if you're here on Twitch. Otherwise, you can just trust me. I'm typically back in about five minutes. Um, uh, I'm going to have the timer up here on screen. But folks, we will come back. We will talk about mothers and sons and ground beef in just a moment. Thank you all very much for joining me. Uh, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And if you want to find out more, go ahead and use the links command in chat. I'll see you in five. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. How do you do? Hello, hello. And I will say, one of the first things that I'm seeing down here, Big Mama says, this is what I imagined Book Fair Cooking Day to be like, swapping recipes and such. And yes, it kind of was, but I tell y'all what, this is what I want, this is what I demand that the uh, the creativity channel should be like. We've got that, that recipes tag now. 
just go ahead and uh, up here. I'll even put it in chat. I'll highlight it so you know what it looks like. Uh, there we go. You see that? At interest recipes, but really just you type at recipes and you'll see it in there and you can tap it in there. But uh, no, for sure, 100%. Head on over to the creativity channel and uh, put your recipes in there and then tag them with recipes. Tag them with that interest tag so that uh, other people can find them. I want to see these recipes, folks. Get over there. I'm going to put the link in chat right now. That's the, there, there, you can use the links command at any time to pull up the, the link tree. That'll take you over to Discord, and I want, I want all this stuff in Discord. You can put them in the Percy Jackson channel, but they'll be a lot harder to find there. Put them in the creativity channel. I want, I want ground beef recipes in my creativity channel now, or I'm going to freak out. <laughs> I'm going to lose it. If I don't have ground beef recipes in my inbox tonight, I'm going to lose my cool. Y'all know how cool I am. You know how cool I stay. <laughs> Watch out. You know this cool, cool boy that you've got in front of you here? I'm going to lose it. And then I'll just be a boy. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our chatter break question, huh? Um, as I said, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Uh, it's a Thursday, which means that it's not a Tuesday. We're not reading classic lit like uh, Alice in Wonderland, which we're going to start on the 30th. It's not Wednesday, so it's not side cannons. It's not tabletop RPGs. It's Thursday. Thursday's flying sidecar. It's a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. But uh, when we venture through these stories, we don't just read them. We read them and we talk about them a little bit. We talk about them a little bit. So let's talk about it. Why the heck? Why would Percy's mother and uh, Luke's mother agree to give? Because remember, okay, let's let's talk about the language a little bit here, just for a second. This isn't just like, all right, I will allow it. You can go do this incredibly dangerous thing, whatever it is, because the author has continued to keep this hidden from us, in spite of the fact that. It's happening in conversations right in front of our eyes. We are still sort of invited to go over to a corner and watch this happen. It's a very exclusionary sort of uh, feeling, right? It, it feels like you're in school and like you've got a bunch of people who are talking about their plans for the weekend. Uh, and they've asked you to like walk away or they've waited until you've walked away to start talking about their weekend plans. That's a little bit what it feels like here when Nico uh, and Percy are sitting there explaining their plan to uh, Percy's. I'll say parents for right now, um, right in front of us, but we're not invited to know what it actually is. But think about this, this big old dangerous thing. It's not just like, okay, I'll, you know, I know you do dangerous things over at that camp of yours, so off you go. This is to give their blessing. Giving their blessing, what does that mean? It means that, I, I think... Well, first of all, I would love to hear your interpretations of it, but I mean, at one at one level, it means like not only are you allowed to, but I think that you should. I understand the wisdom of you doing this, um, and at the very least, like I I wish you the very best in this endeavor. I won't try to stop you. I won't try to convince you otherwise. You have my blessing to go and do this. Something important, some 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 sort of consent that's important from uh, from the mother to allow her son to go off and do this big, crazy, dangerous thing. Now, let me see. Um, yeah, Rollet says, what the heck is the plan? I'm going crazy. It kind of feels that way, doesn't it? 
and I think it's a it's sort of a it's a bit of a gimmick to help uh, sort of keep people interested in what's what what uh, you know keep a, a bit of mystery about this book. Um, ultimately, I think it is pretty jarring. It's it's a very jarring experience to have to have it suddenly break so hard from the rest of the book because if Percy knows something, we know it, and if we know something, Percy knows it. We've been right there lockstep with Percy for most of, I mean, well, for all of this series except for this one little thing where we're right there in the room and we don't get to know what the plan is. I'm with you. Uh, I'm having to sort through a lot of ground beef talk to arrive at <laughs> to arrive at this discussion. Uh, Orly Rose says, so I think Luke's mom either got carried away or scared by a vision that she saw about Luke, and that's why she let him go. And with Percy's mom, now that's interesting, Orly Rose, because, I mean, she gave her blessing, right? Um, what I wonder what about that fear would have motivated her to say yes rather than no. Um uh, and then with Percy's mom, she always seems to want him to be responsible and act on what he thinks is right. Percy's mom seems to have more notable motives, whereas Luke's mom wanted prestige and to do important things, so that's why maybe Luke is more power-hungry and ambitious. Yeah, we don't... I, I, we know that there was some job involved. I don't think we know much about it, Orly Rose, um, if we haven't read this before. And uh, the... The... Certainly with Luke's mom, or uh, with Percy's mom, I will agree with you in as much as, like, she definitely seems to want him to do the noble thing, right? That's I think that's part of the, why this note from Paul seemed to be so effective. She, I think, has a, a sense that nobility is a good thing, um, whether it's in her son, which is, I think it's a lot harder to process nobility in people that you're close to. Nobility sometimes requires self-sacrifice, and... It's hard to watch people that you love go through that. Um, let's see. Big Mama says, Everything in Greek mythology in the Percy Jackson books is grounded in sacrifice. I think the mother's blessings are their literal sacrifices to the gods. Now that is an interesting take, Big Mama. That's a really interesting take. Hmm... Hmm, Big Mama. Hmm. That's a really, really interesting take. Um, this, I mean, sacrifice does play a huge role in this. This uh, self-sacrifice, we, of course, t mentioned a moment ago. Um, but the, uh, this, like, <laughs> this, uh, this idea of a of a sacrifice, uh, I mean, it, it is a bit of self, isn't it? I guess sacrifice is always a bit of self. Um, it's not really a sacrifice if you don't care about it, huh? There we go, discoveries all the time. Uh, but you know, I think for these for these mothers to like to give their blessing to willingly, because of course they couldn't physically stop their sons, right? Physically, neither one of these mothers is going to be able to keep their their sons from doing these things. Like they couldn't they couldn't keep their sons locked up or something. Um, they don't have any sort of like uh, God granted authority over them, right? There's there's no special power that they could they could speak the words and make it true that these sons will not go off and do this big thing. And so, really, it is the it is the sacrifice. It is the the biggest thing they are possibly able to give. 
which is to have the have these sons sit down in front of them and ask and for them to choose to say yes it is sort of their big agency in this scenario it's the one big thing that they're able to accomplish not able to accomplish that's the wrong way to say that it is the one big thing that they're able to to impact where their choice truly does matter um and it, it matters over all else Right? It matters in a way that nothing else can overpower. Only they can truly give their blessing. And they both, it seems, make the choice to do so. Big Mama says, especially since Nico uh, said the process has to start with the mother's blessing. Yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting part of the sort of like uh, the mechanical process of whatever it is they're trying to accomplish, which we still don't know. But on a, on a sort of story level, I, and on, a, on a literature level, I, on a literary level, I really, I really find it interesting that, uh, you know, because I, I think of this, if it weren't for the fact that this approval were sort of an important part of the process, um, it would be very, very easy for either one of these kids to just say, look, mom, I know you don't, I know you don't think this is right, but I'm going to go do it anyway. I'm just going to go do it. It's very interesting. Okay. So we've had a bit of a discussion. We've, Sam's had his fun. All right, now let's go back and start to read some more. Um, I know there is uh, there's a lot of ground beef talk going on. Dolly says, "Don't tell Sam. I used to get 120 pounds at a time to portion out." Um, we actually, I mean, to be frank, my family. Because uh, keep in mind, I come from a family of uh, of eight total, six kids, two parents, um, and so uh, we actually used to get a half cow and keep it in the freezer. Um, so I get that much. It's just like, I mean, I know they're not doing that, right? If it's just if it's just her and again, it's just her and Paul. What are you doing? Not what's anybody doing, but what are you doing with ten pounds of ground beef? And also, it seems to have come in one big container, doesn't it? He calls he sort of calls it a unit of thing. Like she gets it in the temp. I'm not going to do this right now. I'm not doing this with you right now. You nerds, all right? We're not going to have a ground beef argument. We can have a little bit of ground beef discussion, a little bit of light ground beef. I can't say that. This is a Thursday. A little bit of light ground beef discussion, um, but I'm, I am not going any further than that. You can't drag me there with you. Not with a hellhound, you couldn't. <laughs> we got we to gotta move on. We got to move on before Sam gets sucked into the ground beef wormhole. <laughs> let's continue um <laughs> a bit of review i shouldn't switch to this yet uh, a bit of review uh before we move on for our second and final chapter for this evening um this is chapter seven my math teacher gives me a lift uh, a bit of review of chapter six my cookies get scorched my cookies get scorched oh my motorcycle overheated and my cookies got scorched again this is a thursday i can't really say that stuff um they shadow travel to uh, the childhood home, they being Percy and Nico. Um, they shadow travel to the childhood home of Luke Castellan. They meet Luke Castellan's mother, May Castellan, who appears to be um, strange. 
she uh, clearly is not seeing the world in front of her as it really is. Um, and over their discussion, it starts to we start to get the sense that it might be because she can sort of see through the mist. Um, like, you know, Percy's mother is able to. And uh, not only that, but she might have been fairly talented at this, uh, which is something that I think prior to this chapter, many of us probably would not have known was a thing. Is it possible to be talented in seeing through the mist? So much so that she took some sort of job that didn't really work out, but sort of left her different than she was before. And this all happened right before Luke was born. And so we get an insight into Luke's past, into Luke's history, how he would have grown up. And it would have been with a father who was absent because Hermes had this child with May, but wasn't really around. Um, but not only that, you know, we knew that much before. What we didn't know is that his life with his mother must have been really hard. His mother was not fully um, experiencing the present, um, and it seems still is not. Um, she had literally hundreds of Tupperware containers packing lunches for a son who has not returned recently at all. Um, and it uh, seems she does not know of his eventual fate here, except part of her might. She gets this green gleam in her eyes and speaks in a different voice. We all know this is sort of uh, YA shorthand for prophecy. And... Um, it uh, it comes out to mean uh, it comes out with with some uh, some obtuse mentions of uh, Luke's fate. We don't know what it means. It's just sort of his fate. It can't be something that truly terrifies his mother. Um, upon leaving that home, because Percy feels the urge to very quickly, um, they meet Hestia, the goddess of the hearth, and uh, she, in the form of an eight year old girl, sort of says, "Listen, I." I'm sort of the one that's left after all the fighter gods go away, after all of the attacker gods, the defender gods, the builder gods, all of them go away. I am what's left. I am home. I am the goddess of the hearth. And for those of you who are not aware, the hearth is sort of the, the home fireplace, which for now, these days, probably doesn't mean much to you. You know, you don't think of your air conditioning unit as being an important part of your home, but the fireplace... Back in the day, you know, back in back in the, I mean, way past the Greeks, uh, frankly, the hearth is the thing that keeps you warm. And by warm, I don't mean comfortable. I mean alive in winter. It's the place where you gather. It is the thing that means home as opposed to a shack. The difference between sort of a, a home and a building is kind of the hearth. It's the fireplace. It's where you cook. It's where you gather. It's where you tell your stories. It's where you stay warm and safe. Hestia is the goddess of the hearth, and so she says, when all the other gods go away, I'm the only one that's left. I am the last Olympian. And she tells Percy that when the time comes for him to make his, quote, final decision, end quote, a term that makes Percy very nervous, that she should remember excuse me, that he should remember her and remember the importance of knowing how to yield. This comes up again very shortly when Percy has to watch his mother go through exactly this process. From their conversation with May Castellan, Nico seems to believe that um, uh, the blessing of the mother is an important part of this process. It has to start with that. May gave it to Luke, and so it seems like Luke is probably on the same path here. Luke is probably angling toward whatever power uh, uh, 
Nico wants Percy to head toward as well. Um, but they explain their plan to uh, Sally Jackson, and she gives her blessing to Percy. And that is roundabout where we're at as they head out. Nico and Percy head out um, once more on their uh, on their journey. All right, folks. Uh, I need some water. I'm a little dried out. I'm a little very dry. I'm forgetting the. Um, I, I'm I'm glad that we are. <laughs> I read what Rollett said and it had the word forgot in there and I just went ahead and inserted that into my own sentence. No, um, uh, I got hacked by Rollett. Uh, yes, folks, do not forget to vote. That vote is ending tonight over in Discord. Uh, do not forget. We got to decide what our next uh, next read through is going to be, don't we? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I am glad that I don't have any Ginny voice tonight or Dumbledore um, I've got a few others who are kind of raspy. I mean, Annabeth is a little bit that way, but frankly, nobody in this book has like long, long, unending, uh, um, sort of monologues like they often did in, in, um, in Harry Potter. Although I will say I, that sort of the, the words I chose there were probably not great because they had a very negative connotation. I really loved all of the, the dialogue that happened in Harry Potter. It was impactful. It was fantastic. So. All right. I am hydrated. I am energated. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Chapter 7. My math teacher gives me a lift. We emerged in Central Park, just north of the pond. Mrs. O'Leary looked pretty tired as she limped over to a cluster of boulders. She started sniffing around, and I was afraid she might mark her territory, but Nico said, It's okay. She just smells the way home. I frowned. Uh, to the rocks? The underworld has two major entrances, Nico said. You know the one in L.A. Uh, Caron's Ferry. Nico nodded. Most souls go that way, but there's a smaller path, harder to find. The door of Orpheus. Oh, the dude with the hop. Dude with the lyre. L-Y-R-E, Nico corrected. But yeah, him. He used his music to charm the earth and open a new path into the underworld. He sang his way right into Hades' palace and almost got away with his wife's soul. I remember the story. Orpheus wasn't supposed to look behind him when he was leading his wife back into the world, but of course he did. It was one of those typical, and so they died, the end, stories that always made us feel so warm and fuzzy. Um, so this is the door of Orpheus. I tried to sound impressed, but it still looked like a pile of rocks to me. How does it open? We need music. Nico said. How's your singing? Uh, no. Uh, can't you just, like, tell it to open? You are the son of Hades, after all. It's not so easy. We need music. 
was pretty sure if I tried to sing, it would cause an avalanche. I got a better idea. I turned and called, Grover! We waited for a long time. Mrs. O'Leary curled up and took a nap. I could hear the crickets in the woods and an owl hooting. Traffic hummed along Central Park West. Horse hooves clopped down a nearby path, maybe a mounted patrol policeman. I was sure they would love finding two kids hanging out in the park at one in the morning. It's no good, Nico said at last, but I had a feeling. My empathy link was really tingling for the first time in months, which either meant a whole lot of people had suddenly switched on the nature channel, or Grover was close. I shut my eyes and concentrated. Grover. I knew he was somewhere in the park. Why couldn't I sense his emotions? All I got was a faint hum in the base of my skull. Grover, I thought more insistently. Mm-hmm. Something said. An image came into my head. I saw a giant elm tree deep in the woods, well off the main paths, gnarled roots laced at the ground, making a kind of bed. Lying in it with his arms crossed and his eyes closed was a satyr. At first I couldn't be sure it was Grover. He was covered in twigs and leaves like he'd been sleeping there for a long time. The roots seemed to be shaping themselves around him, slowly pulling him into the earth. Grover, I said, wake up. Dude, you're covered in dirt. Wake up. Sleepy, his mind murmured. Uh, Food, I suggested. Pancakes, his eyes shot open. A blur of thoughts filled my head like it was suddenly on fast forward. The image shattered and I almost fell over. What happened? Nico asked. I got through. He's... Yeah, he's on his way. A minute later, the tree next to us shivered. Grover fell out of the branches right on his head. Grover! I yelled. (laughs) Mrs. O'Leary looked up, probably wondering if we were going to play fetch with the satyr. (laughs) Grover bleated. Are you okay, man? I'm fine. He rubbed his head. His horns had grown so much they poked an inch above his curly hair. I was at the other end of the park. The dryads had this great idea of passing me through the trees to get me here. They don't understand height very well. He grinned and got to his feet. Well, his hooves, actually. Since last summer, Grover had stopped trying to disguise himself as human. He never wore a cap or fake feet anymore. He didn't even wear jeans, since he had furry goat legs from the waist down. His t-shirt had a picture from that book, Where the Wild Things Are. It was covered with dirt and tree sap. His goatee looked fuller, almost manly, or goatly. And he was as tall as me now. It's good to see you, G-Man, I said. You remember Nico? Grover nodded at Nico, then gave me a big hug. He smelled like fresh-mown lawns. Percy, he bleated. I missed you. I miss camp. They don't serve very good enchiladas in the wilderness. Yeah, I was worried, I said. Where have you been the last two months? The last two 
Grover's smile faded. The last two months? What are you talking about? We haven't heard from you, I said. Juniper's was worried. We sent Iris messages, but hold on. He looked up at the stars like he was trying to calculate his position. What month is this? August. The color drained from his face. That's impossible. It's June. I just lay down to take a nap and... He grabbed my arms. I remember now. He knocked me out. Percy, we've got to stop him. Whoa, 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 I said. Slow down. Tell me what happened. He took a deep breath. I was... I was walking in the woods up by Harlem Mere, and I felt this tremble in the ground like something powerful was near. You can sense stuff like that? Nico asked. Grover nodded. Since Pan's death, I can feel when something is wrong in nature. It's like my ears and eyes are sharper when I'm in the wild. Anyway, I started following the scent. The man in a long black coat was walking through the park, and I noticed he didn't cast a shadow. Middle of a sunny day, and he cast no shadow. He kind of shimmered as he moved. Like a mirage? Nico asked. Yes, Grover said. And whenever he passed humans... Humans would pass out, Nico said. Curl up and go to sleep. That's right. And then after he was gone, they'd get up and go about their business like nothing happened. I stared at Nico. You know this guy in black? I'm afraid so, Nico said. Grover, what happened? I followed the guy. He kept looking at the buildings around the park like he was making estimates or something. This lady jogger ran by and she curled up on the sidewalk and started snoring. The guy in black put his hand on her forehead like he was checking her temperature. And then he kept walking. By this time I knew that he was a monster or something even worse. I followed him into this grove to the base of a big elm tree. I was about to summon some dryads to help me capture him when he turned around and... Grover swallowed. Percy. His face. I... I couldn't make out his face because it kept shifting. Just looking at him made me feel sleepy. I said, what are you doing? He said, just having a look around. You should always scout a battlefield before the battle. I said something uh, really smart like, this forest is under my protection. You won't start any battles here. And he laughed. He said, you're lucky I'm saving my energy for the main event, little Zeta. I'll just grant you a short nap. Pleasant dreams. And that's the last thing I remember. Nico exhaled. Grover, you met Morpheus, the god of dreams. You're lucky you ever woke up. Two months, Grover moaned. He put me to sleep for two months. I tried to wrap my mind around what this meant. Now it made sense why we hadn't been able to contact Grover all this time. Why didn't the nymphs try to wake you up? I asked. Grover shrugged. Most nymphs aren't good with time. Two months for a tree, that's nothing. They probably didn't think anything was wrong. We've got to figure out what Morpheus was doing at the park, I said. I don't like this main event thing that he mentioned. He's working for Kronos, Nico said. We know that already. A lot of the minor gods are. This just proves there's going to be an invasion. Percy, we have to get on with our plan. Wait, 
Grover said. What plan? We told him, and Grover started tugging at his leg fur. You're not serious, he said. Not the underworld again. I'm not asking you to come, man, I promised. I know you just woke up, but we need some music to open the door. Can you do it? Grover took out his reed pipes. I guess I could try. I know a few Nirvana tunes that can split rocks, but Percy, are you sure that you want to do this? Please, man, I said. It would mean a lot. But for old time's sake? He whimpered. As I recall, in the old times we almost died a lot. But okay, here goes nothing. He put his pipes to his lips and played a shrill, lively tune. The boulders trembled. A few more stanzas and they cracked open, revealing a triangular crevice. I peered inside. Steps led down into the darkness. The air smelled of mildew and death. It brought back bad memories of my trip through the labyrinth last year, but this tunnel felt even more dangerous. It led straight to the land of Hades, and that was almost always a one-way trip. I turned to Grover. Thanks. I think. Percy, is, is Kronos really going to invade? I wish I could tell you better, but yeah, he will. I thought Grover might chew up his reed pipes in anxiety, but he straightened up and brushed off his t-shirt. I couldn't help thinking how different he looked from old fat Linnaeus, I'm going to rally the nature spirits, then. Maybe we can help. I'll see if we can find this Morpheus. Better tell Juniper that you're okay, too. His eyes widened. Oh, Juniper, she's going to kill me. He started to run off, then scrambled back and gave me another hug. Be careful down there. Come back alive. Once he was gone, Nico and I aroused Mrs. O'Leary from her nap. When she smelled the tunnel, she got excited and led the way down the steps. It was a pretty tight fit. I hoped she wouldn't get stuck. I couldn't imagine how much Drano we would need to unstick a hellhound wedged halfway down a tunnel to the underworld. Ready? Nico asked me. It'll be fine. Don't worry. He sounded like he was trying to convince himself. I glanced up at the stars, wondering if I would ever see them again. Then we plunged into darkness. Orange, hello, how do you do? Good to have you here. And back we go. The stairs went on forever. Narrow, steep, and slippery. It was completely dark except for the light of my sword. I tried to go slow, but Mrs. O'Leary had other ideas. She bounded ahead, barking happily. The sound echoed through the tunnel like cannon shots, and I figured we would not be catching anybody by surprise when we reached the bottom. Nico lagged behind, which I thought was strange. You okay? I asked him. Fine. What was that expression on his face? Doubt? 
Just keep moving, he said. I didn't have much choice. I followed Mrs. O'Leary into the depths. After another hour, I started to hear the roar of a river. We emerged at the base of a cliff, on a plain of black volcanic sand. To our right, the river Styx gushed from the rocks and roared off to a cascade of rapids. To our left, far away in the gloom, fires burned on the ramparts of Erebos, the great black walls of Hades' kingdom. I shuddered. I'd first been here when I was twelve, and only Annabeth and Grover's company had given me the courage to keep going. Nico wasn't going to be quite as helpful with the courage thing. He looked pale and worried himself. Only Mrs. O'Leary acted happy. She ran along the beach, picked up a random human leg bone, and romped back toward me. She dropped the bone at my feet and waited for me to throw it. Um, maybe later, girl? I stared at the dark waters, trying to get up my nerve. So, how do we want to do this? We have to go to the inside gates first, he said. But the river's right here. I have to get something, he said. It's the only way. He marched off without waiting. I frowned. Nico hadn't mentioned anything about going inside the gates. But now that we were here, I didn't know what else to do. Reluctantly, I followed him down the beach toward the black gates. Lines of the dead stood outside, waiting to get in. It must have been a heavy day for funerals, because even the easy death line was backed up. Mrs. O'Leary said. Before I could stop her, she bounded up toward the security checkpoint. Cerberus, the god of the... The guard dog of Hades appeared out of the gloom, a three-headed Rottweiler so big he made Mrs. O'Leary look like a toy poodle. Cerberus was half-transparent, so he's really hard to see until he's close enough to kill you, but he acted like he didn't care about us. He was too busy saying hello to Mrs. O'Leary. Mrs. O'Leary, no! Oh, man, I shouted after her. Nico smiled. Then he looked at me and his expression turned all serious again, like he'd remembered something unpleasant. Come on. They won't give us any trouble in the line. You're with me. I didn't like it, but we slipped through the security ghouls into the fields of Asphodel. I had to whistle for Mrs. O'Leary three times before she left Cerberus alone and ran after us. We hiked over black fields of grass, dotted with black poplar trees. If I really died in a few days, like the prophecy said, I might end up here forever but I tried not to think about that. Nico trudged ahead, bringing us closer and closer to the palace of Hades. Hey, I said. We're inside the gates already. What are we... Mrs. O'Leary growled. A shadow appeared overhead, something dark, cold, and stinking of death. It swooped down and landed in the top of a poplar tree. Unfortunately, I recognized her. She had a shriveled face, a horrible blue knit hat, and a crumpled velvet dress. Leathery bat wings sprang from her back. Her feet had sharp talons, and her brass-clawed hands had a flaming whip and a paisley handbag. Mrs. Dodds, I said. She bared her fangs. Welcome back, honey! Her two sisters, the other Furies, swooped down and settled next to her on the branches of the poplar. You know Alecto? Nico asked me. 
If you mean the hag in the middle, then yeah, I said. She was my math teacher. Nico nodded, like this didn't surprise him. He looked up at the Furies and took a deep breath. I've done what my father asked. Take us to the palace. I tensed. Wait a second, Nico, what do you... I'm afraid this is my new lead, Percy. My father promised me information about my family, but he wants to see you before we try the river. I'm sorry. You tricked me? I was so mad I couldn't think. I lunged at him, but the Furies were fast. Two of them swooped down and plucked me up at the arms. Two of them swooped down and plucked me up by the arms. My sword fell out of my hand, and before I knew it, I was dangling sixty feet in the air. Oh, don't struggle, honey! My old math teacher cackled in my ear. I'd hate to drop you! Mrs. O'Leary barked angrily and jumped, trying to reach me, but we were too high. Tell Mrs. O'Leary to behave, Nico warned. He was hovering... He was hovering near me in the clutches of the third fury. I don't want her to get hurt, Percy. My father's waiting. He just wants to talk. I wanted to tell Mrs. O'Leary to attack Nico, but it wouldn't have done any good. And Nico was right about one thing. My dog could get hurt if she tried to pick a fight with the Furies. I gritted my teeth. Mrs. O'Leary, down! It's okay, girl. She whimpered and turned in circles, looking up at me. All right, traitor. I growled at Nico. You got your prize? Take me to the stupid palace. palace. Electo dropped me like a sack of turnips in the middle of the palace garden. It was beautiful in a creepy way. Skeletal white trees grew from marble basins. Flower beds overflowed with golden plants and gemstones. A pair of thrones, one bone and one silver, sat on the balcony with a view of the fields of asphodel. It would have been a nice place to spend a Saturday morning except for the sulfurous smell and the cries of tortured souls in the distance. Skeletal warriors guarded the only exit. They wore tattered U.S. Army desert combat uniforms and carried M-16s. The third fury deposited Nico next to me. Then all three of them settled on top of the skeletal throne. I resisted the urge to strangle Nico. They'd only stop me. I'd have to wait for my revenge. I stared at the empty thrones, waiting for something to happen. Then the air shimmered. Three figures appeared, Hades and Persephone on their thrones and an older woman standing between them. They seemed to be in the middle of a heated argument. I told you that he was a bum, the older woman said. Mother, Persephone replied. We have visitors, Hades barked. Please. Hades, one of my least favorite gods, smoothed his black robes, which were covered with the terrified faces of the damned. He had pale skin and the intense eyes of a madman. Percy Jackson, he said with satisfaction. At last. Queen Persephone studied me curiously. I'd seen her once before in the winter, but in the summer she looked like a totally different goddess. She had lustrous black hair and warm brown eyes. Her dress shimmered with colors. Flower patterns in the fabric changed and bloomed.
roses, tulips, honeysuckle. The woman standing between them was obviously Persephone's mother. She had the same hair and eyes, but looked older and sterner. Her dress was golden, the color of a wheat field. Her hair was woven with dried grasses, so it reminded me of a wicker basket. I figured if somebody lit a match next to her, she'd be in some serious trouble. <clears throat> the older woman said, Demigods, just what we need. Next to me, Nico knelt. I wished I had my sword so I could cut off his stupid head. Unfortunately, Riptide was still out in the field somewhere. Father, Nico said, I've done as you asked. It took you long enough, Hades grumbled. Your sister would have done a better job. Nico lowered his head. If I hadn't been so mad at the little creep, I might have felt sorry for him. I glared up at the god of the dead. What do you want, Hades? The talk, of course. The god twisted his mouth in a cruel smile. Didn't Nico tell you? So this whole quest was a lie. Nico brought me down here to get killed. Oh, no, Hades said. I'm afraid Nico was quite sincere about wanting to help you. The boy's as honest as he is dense. I simply convinced him to take a small detour and bring you here first. Father, Nico said, you promised Percy would not be harmed. You said if I brought him here, you would tell me about my past, about my mother. Queen Persephone sighed dramatically. Can we please not talk about that woman in my presence? I'm sorry, little dove, Hades said. I had to promise the boy something. The older lady harumphed. I warned you, doctor, this scoundrel Hades is no good. You could have married the son of a... No. You could have married the god of doctors or the god of lawyers, but no, you had to eat the pomegranate. Mother, and get stuck in the underworld. Mother, please. And here it is, August, and you come home like you're supposed to. Do you ever think about your poor lonely mother? Demeter! Hades shouted. That is enough. You are a guest in my house. Oh, I guess this is it, she said. You call this dump house. You make my daughter live in this dark, damp... I told you, Hades said, grinding his teeth. There is a war in the world above. You and Persephone are better off here with me. Excuse me, I broke in. But if you're going to kill me, could you just get on with it? All three gods looked at me. Well, this one has an attitude... Demeter observed. Indeed, Hades agreed. I'd love to kill him. Father, Nico said. You promised. Husband, we talked about this, Persephone chided. You cannot go around incinerating every hero. Besides, he is brave. I like that. Hades rolled his eyes. Yeah, you like that Orpheus fellow, too. Look how well that turned out. Let me kill him just a little bit. Father, you promised, I said. Oop, Nico said. You said you only wanted to talk to him. You said if I brought him, you'd explain. Hades glowered, smoothing the folds of his robes. So I shall. Your mother. What can I tell you? She was a wonderful woman. He glanced uncomfortably at Persephone. Forgive me, dear. I mean for a mortal, of course. 
Her name was Maria D'Angelo. She was from Venice, but her father was a diplomat in Washington, D.C. That's where I met her. When you and your sister were young, it was a bad time to be a child of Hades. World War II was brewing. A few of my other children were leading the losing side. I thought it best to put you two out of harm's way. That's why you hit us in the Lotus Casino? Hades shrugged. You didn't age. You didn't realize time was passing. I waited for the right time to bring you out. But what happened to our mother? Why don't I remember her? Not important, Hades snapped. What? Of course it's important. You had other children. Why were they the only ones that you sent away? And who was the lawyer that got us out? Hades grit his teeth. You would do well to listen more and talk less, boy. As for the lawyer... Hades snapped his fingers. On top of his throne, the Fury Electo began to change, until she was a middle-aged man in a pinstriped suit with a briefcase. She, he, looked strange, crouching at Hades' shoulder. You, Nico said. The Fury cackled. I do lawyers and teachers very well. Nico was trembling. But why did you free us from the casino? You know why, Hades said. This idiot son of Poseidon cannot be allowed to be the child of the prophecy. I plucked a ruby off the nearest plant and threw it at Hades. It sank harmlessly into his robes. You should be helping Olympus, I said. All the other gods are fighting Typhon. You're just sitting here... Waiting things out, Hades finished. Yes, that's correct. When's the last time Olympus ever helped me, Half-Blood? When's the last time a child of mine was ever welcomed as a hero? Ah, why should I rush and help them? I'll stay here with my forces intact. And when Kronos comes after you? Let him try. He'll be weakened, and my son here, Nico... Hades looked at him with distaste. Well, it's not much now, I grant you. It would have been better if Bianca had lived, but give him four more years of training. We can hold out that long, surely. Nico will turn 16, as the prophecy says, and then he will make the decision that will save the world, and I will be king of the gods. You're crazy, I said. Kronos will crush you right after he finishes pulverizing Olympus. Hades spread his hands. Well, you'll get a chance to find out, Half-Blood, because you'll be waiting this war out in my dungeons. No, Nico said. Father, this wasn't our agreement. And you haven't told me everything. I told you all you needed to know, Hades said. As for our agreement, I spoke with Jackson. I did not harm him. You got your information. If you wanted a better deal, you should have made me swear on the sticks. Now, go to your room. He waved his hand, and Nico vanished. That boy needs to eat more, Demeter grumbled. He's too skinny. He needs more cereal. Persephone raised her eyes. Persephone rolled her eyes. Mother, enough with the cereal. My lord, Hades, are you sure that we can't let this little hero go? He is awfully brave. No, my dear. I've spared his life. That's enough. 
I was sure she was going to stand up for me. The brave, beautiful Persephone was going to get me out of this. She shrugged indifferently. Fine. What is for breakfast? I'm starving. Cereal, Demeter said. Mother! The two women disappeared in a swirl of flowers and wheat. Don't feel too bad, Percy Jackson, Hades said. My ghosts keep me well informed of Kronos' plans. I assure you, you had no chance to stop me in time. By tonight, it'll be too late for your precious Mount Olympus. The trap will be sprung. What trap? I demanded. If you know about it, do something. At least tell the other gods. Hades smiled. You are spirited. I'll give you credit for that. Have fun in my dungeon. We'll check on you again in, oh, fifty or sixty years. And that is the end of our check, our second and final chapter for the evening. Hmm, very interesting, folks. What do we think of that? I gotta be honest, Dahlia's got a pretty cool take here. Um, <laughs> Orange, I'm glad you got some good news. I don't know if you're still in here, but hey, good to have you, good to see you. Uh, Dahlia says, this is what Nico needed to see. He needed to know he was being used. Now it'll be easier for him to break free and exercise actual autonomy without feeling like he must serve the gods, dark or otherwise. I like that take, Dahlia. I like that take. I think uh, I think Nico did indeed need to see. It doesn't really matter who you're with. You you have to be able to make your own decisions. You must be able to make your own decisions. And you know, I think we could have an extended conversation about whether like serving the gods or serving the the titans is sort of the the right answer. Um, but ultimately, I think. What you've said there is important. Why why choose a side? Um, rather, I think it's probably more important to choose an ideal, right? Don't don't get wrapped up in who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. Advance the right thing, not the right side, because the right side is always going to be made of flawed people, and it may not be the right thing at every time, at every turn. And now I think you are probably right. Nico's going to have a chance to see past the sides. And we'll hopefully, hopefully, we will find per, uh, 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 Nico making his own decisions based on ideals, based on his, his sense of what is right, not his sense of who is right. Orange, I'm glad you're still here. Mr. Biggs, Mr. Biggs simply says, huh, <laughs> which I would say is probably a decent estimation of what it is we do here. I think that's fair, Mr. Big. What up? Uh, we just got finished reading chapters uh, six and seven of the final book of the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. Uh, we're in book five right now, cruising right along. Uh, if you all want to check up with me, hi, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Uh, we hang out Tuesdays through Thursdays. Um, on Tuesdays, we have got Vintage Sidecar, where we shed some light on classic lit. Uh, we finished up um, uh, The Hobbit fairly recently. Boy, it feels like a long time ago, though, doesn't it? Um uh, oh, well, there's a good reason for that. It's because we read a whole book in between. 
I don't know where my head's at. Uh, no, we recently finished up Murder on the Orient Express. There we go. I got confused because we did a reread for The Hobbit. Anyway, uh, we finished up that one recently and starting on the 30th because we don't have any streams next week. Don't forget, no streams next week. Um, uh, yep, just the two, Gwendog. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, just the two. Uh, but we do have a... I, I do have time. We're going to do a, a quick soundbite from Dahlia. Um uh, so that's Tuesday's classic literature. Just arrived for the for the last sentences. Yep, sorry, Big Fifty or Mister Big, whichever you prefer. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mister Big, don't worry, you can come back uh, again. Not next Thursday, but the Thursday after. Um, you know, start of start of December kind of territory, and you will be able to find us continuing there. Um, I am not caught up on all my editing because I'm in the midst of a, a big project. As a matter of fact, this week went notably slower than I had hoped for it to go. But if you want to find uh, back episodes of this, uh, currently, I'll say I think it's safe to say most. It's fair to say most. Most episodes of this this our Thursday show, which is Flying Sidecar, where we hang out. Uh, we have read all the way through the Harry Potter series. You can find all this on Spotify or wherever you get your um uh, wherever you get your podcast essentially look for flying sidecar and you should be able to find it there um we had a ton of fun with harry potter we're having a lot of fun with this one and we are currently taking the vote that vote has been going for a week and it ends tonight tonight at midnight my time i gotta keep it dramatic uh that's gonna be over in um uh over in the discord and if you want to find the discord you can go ahead and use the links command that will pop up the link to the discord etc go ahead and uh, hang out over there that's where we do a lot of our midweek stuff and then of course as i said tuesday through thursday tuesday classics uh thursday is um uh stuff like this fantasy young adult literature and then wednesdays are sort of in the middle sandwiched in the middle uh that is side cannons that is our tabletop rpg wing of sidecar stories because i think some of the best stories today are being told with the roll of the dice um uh Scar lovett says are you going to put scrooge in spotify yes absolutely my plan is as soon as i'm done with um uh the sort of the rough cuts the current cuts uh that i've been doing for um uh, for Flying Sidecar, I'm going to move on and go chronologically through Vintage Sidecar. So I'm going to start with uh, The Great Gatsby, and then I believe Frankenstein is after that, and then I believe uh, it's The Christmas Carol, and then The Hobbit, and then um, uh, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and then now, of course, we'll be starting up with um, with our new one, <laughs> with Alice in Wonderland. So it's going to be a good time. Um and yeah, Dahlia, I do think that the timing is going to be really pretty good for this soundbite tonight. So um, let's talk about that, shall we? Uh, I want to do beans first, I think. I want to do beans first, and then we'll do the soundbite after that. Um, just to just to make sure we've got all of our accounting done, uh, all the important business out of the way. So let's talk about bad beans. This is a this is a quick wrap up tradition. Um, this is sort of the the oddball portion of our stream where we talk about. Uh, those good folks who have shared about the show on Instagram and Twitter. So uh, I am going to grab the tallies and then we're going to summon the Bean Queen, uh, <laughs> who is my girlfriend, Cass. Um, so let me see. Let me see how things are looking over here. Uh, I'm on Instagram right now. If y'all would like to add a bad bean onto the pile here, because uh, I am going to be trying Birdie Bots Every Flavor beans, many of them. Right now, the bad ones take the form of very, very spicy beans. Um, you know, just like that Tumblr poem about cowboys, <laughs> you know, the ones, uh, and I think, I think we might be totally clear over in, uh, over on Instagram. 
I think it, I think it was a quiet week on Instagram. That is all right. Anybody who wants to uh, add beans under the pile here, though, you can go ahead and uh, share about the show. Make sure you tag me so that I can see the thing. Sidecar stories uh, on just about everywhere. Um, and then, of course, uh, use the hashtag flying sidecar so I know which show you're actually watching. Uh, let's see what Twitter looks like. Hold on. It would be so wild that this was like the one. This is a this is a one bean week. So I'm gonna let the bean queen know. But I think she typically, she for for one bean weeks. I think uh, she typically just wants to chill, <laughs> just wants to relax a little bit. So uh, I'm gonna let her know. But I will be right back. Just a moment, uh, because it is indeed, it is heart hook. Heart hook. This one is for you. I'll be right back. Actually, you know what? No, I should let her know. She'll want to know. All right, I'll be right back. Just a second. grabbed I have grabbed a bean at random here all right I don't know what it is I'm gonna hold it up but uh, this is for you heart hook heart hook thank you very very much I appreciate you uh, oh I've got I've got that good blocky um, <laughs> headphone hair look at me look at me go all right so here's this I don't know how well you can see it. If it's totally clear, that means it's green because it's uh, keying into my same uh, green screen sort of thing. I'm gonna move it around a little bit because I'm having a hard time. I don't know when exactly it's on camera. I guess if my face is on camera, then I should just hold it like exactly in line with my face. Anyway, here we go. Oh, very chewy. Okay, all right. It's not spicy. Don't worry, folks. It's not spicy, never you fear. Um, it is powerfully sour though. That's straight up like a lime, that's a lime bean. That's a limey bean. Oof. Oof. Maybe it's just because it's the first bean of the night, but wow, that thing is like, it was, well, it's very chewy too, and so it's very lingering, but, um, hey, thank you very much to Heart Hook. All you folks who have shared about the show in the past, thank you so very much. Um, as I mentioned, um, Instagram and uh, Twitter, or the other way is just to bring somebody, uh, bring bring a, bring a person straight to the stream. If uh, if I see a new name in here and they say, "Hey, Dahlia brought me," uh, then Dahlia gets to add one. <laughs> Dahlia gets to add a bean onto the pile. So, y'all, thank you very very much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And this has been Bad Beans. It's good that it was a quick one because uh, I want to get into this soundbite real quick. Um, this is another one from Death Metal Dahlia, who typically, uh, let's see, uh, Dahlia has sent me, I guess we don't really have a typically, do we? Um, we have not been doing soundbites so long that we have like a typical system. I do think starting next month, uh, I've got a Google form that I want to try out. I think that'll be easiest for my bookkeeping. Um I will, of course, be posting that over in the uh, the private patron library over on Discord um, so that y'all have, like, an idea of um, the <laughs> of the system for this. But uh, 
this, as I mentioned at the top of the stream, this is Sound Bites. And I guess I'll move us back over to, well, no, I need to pop open a window for this first. Okay, hold on. Um, let's see. Halo, Halo Art. I mean, we gotta, we need something with the, uh, with the big spires in the background. I should say what looks like big spires. Uh, I think I like this guy right here. Uh, maybe if it weren't so terribly, okay, no, the resolution's all right. All right, I think we're gonna bop in on this one. Let's try this one. Okay. Oh, duh, I have to open it, it's its own image. Oh, perfect, delightful. All right, so, um, this is uh, sound bites, and sound bites are a fun little thing that we like to do here. Uh, this is a thank you to my patrons. Uh, we do bad beans uh, as a thank you to the people who brought people to the show, and for patrons, um, you get to send me sound bites. This is a script you can send me every single month. Uh, you can send me a script, and I will go ahead and perform it slash read it for you. Um, if y'all want to send me Tumblr memes uh, all the way to a script that you may have written for you know something for a project you're working on, um, or even you just want to hear sort of what your characters sound like if you to hand them off to somebody, what does it sound like in somebody else's head? Well, you can find out here. Um, We've had some great requests thus far, and this one does have some really interesting, like, prescient timing. Uh, Dahlia said a little while ago in chat, the soundbite is perfect timing. I had no idea the thing it's related to would have another installment drop so soon, especially it being around the 20th anniversary. Literally no idea before I s submitted the soundbite. So, uh, this is from one of the Halo novels, which I admit to you all, I have played quite a bit of, but I have never read the novels, therefore... So, uh, we're going to jump in and we're going to read um, a little bit of context first because Dahlia has provided context with some of these. Um, let's see. So, this one is from, as I mentioned, this is from Halo. Uh, a little bit of a note on this. So, uh, I believe this is the title of the novel, First Strike. First Strike takes place in the 26th century where humanity, underneath the governance of the United Nations Space Command... UNSC, has been fighting a losing war against a religious collective of aliens known as the Covenant. Humanity's best defense against the Covenant is the Spartan Project. Super soldiers in powered armor, but these elite troops are too few to turn the tide of war in the UNSC's favor. With the knowledge that the Covenant forces are en route to Earth, Master Chief, aka John 117, and his fellow Spartans, Fred, Linda, and Will, decide to disrupt the invading force at the rendezvous point after making their preparations. For additional power, Cortana, the Master Chief's AI companion, salvages the derelict UNSC frigate Gettysburg, using parts from the commandeered Covenant ship Ascendant Justice, in effect creating a hybrid vessel referred to throughout the book as the Gettysburg Ascendant Justice. The Spartans successfully infiltrate the Covenant space station, the unyielding Hierophant that the Covenant fleet is surrounding and awaiting orders from, and have set it to self-destruct and are currently trying to escape back to the twin ships Gettysburg Ascendant Justice that are ascend uh, that are hidden nearby on a moon. Excuse me, behind a moon. All right, there we go. So there is a bit of history and shoot, did I take, I'm pretty sure I've got it in my notes somewhere. I don't want you to see the whole, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's right, I don't want it to be going during this anyway. So let me see, I knew I had a note. Yes, chapter 35, okay. I was trying to make sure that I had a note as to which which chapter you actually wanted me to read from this thing. Okay, so this is chapter 35 of Halo First Strike. There we go. 
And, um, yeah, Dahlia, I would be very curious to, um, do you want to put the full link in? Well, actually, sorry, could you give, just so I can copy paste it, do you want to give me their username? Uh, just like as it all, the, the all one word, is it just Crow Valclamore? Uh, all one word? Is that essentially what it is? Basically, everything after the final slash in twitch.tv slash yada, yada, yada. Cool. All right. Um, let's see. Plague Didi says, hi, everyone. Did we just start? How many chapters are we reading? Uh, Plague Didi, no. We have just finished. But, of course, we've got some other fun stuff to do. Uh, unless it is totally gone. Where on earth would it have disappeared to? Are you kidding me? Where did it go? Oh, no, it's fine. Okay. I was like, I was really confused. All right, here it is. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much, Dahlia. Um, all right, so we are, we are wrapping up with the soundbite today. This one is from uh, Halo First Strike. This is one of the Halo Universe novels, um, which I've never read before, so this is going to be very interesting. Um, I don't think there's anything else to talk about. Let's just get into this sucker. Um, I have to go ahead and find uh, find chapter 35 really quickly. 35, I will, I will double check, 35, yes. Okay. 18, it's about halfway down, so 35. Oh, we're close to the end here, huh? Uh, 34 and 35. Fantastic. It's also really funny because these pages are super, like, <laughs> the, the PDF that you sent me, Dahlia, is a little funny looking, if I'm honest. All right, so everyone, uh, you got a bit of insight into what is going on with this soundbite, and here it is, chapter 35 of Halo First Strike. 1820 hours, September 13, 2552. Revised date, military calendar. Aboard Covenant Battle Station, unyielding Hierophant. And actually, before I get into this, I need to double check the the voices here. I'm pretty sure I remember exactly what we were working with. Um, yeah. Okay, I can work with this. Admiral Whitcomb. Okay. Master Chief accelerated his Banshee to its top speed. There was another explosion at the temple, and plumes of steam geysered into the air from the heat exchange plant. The circling formations of Banshees scattered. John tucked as close as he could to his flyer's fuselage and coaxed every bit of speed from the craft. A pair of Banshees swooped in, one off his port, the other off his starboard. Their plasma weapons heated, John rolled back and forth to throw their aim. He braced for impact, but there was none. The chief craned his head back and saw the pilot of the lead Banshee slump, slide off the flyer, and plummet to the ground. The trilling Banshee was riderless as well, only a blood-spattered cockpit and cowling. Linda had him covered. Had taken out both pilots with precise fire. She had to be close. John scanned the area. There were spires and water reclamation towers, transport tubes and catwalks that crisscrossed the crater of the interior. There was a nexus of walkways near the beam of illumination that ran down the center of the station a location with enough glare that a sniper might hide in the open, undetected. He risked keying Linda's private comm channel. Thought you might need a ride. So I... An energy mortar blasted over John's shoulder, burning the air like sun in close orbit and draining his shields to half. 
It impacted a water tower, and the structure detonated into a cloud of blinding steam. John punched the banshee through the cloud, glanced down, and saw a wraith tank tracking his trajectory. He ducked and weaved, but kept moving toward Linda's probe location. His mission countdown timer read 7.06. There was no time for fancy evasion maneuvers. Did Linda even want to be found? Maybe she wanted him to get safely and leave her behind. Maybe she wanted him to get to safety and leave her behind. That's what he would have done. Position report, Linda. John barked over the comm. That's a direct order. Three seconds ticked off the mission clock. In the sixth tone, Ali Ali Oxen Free whistled through uh, the speakers through a nav marker, appeared on the heads up display. And I don't know, I don't know how that's supposed to sound, Ali. I know you mentioned it, and I've like I've heard Ali Ali Oxen Free before, but what is the sixth tone supposed to sound like? Song whistled through John's speakers and a nav marker appeared on his heads-up display. The triangular marker centered on a rope that ran between two transit tubes and dangled perilously close to the high-intensity light beam. It was a barely discernible thread that ran through a hard shadow cast by a nearby catwalk. John hit his image enhancers. Through the glare of the light and the depths of the shadow, he caught the flicker of reflected optics. Linda had used both. Oh, shoot. Well, it went ahead and lost my page. I tried to resize it a little bit, and it freaked out. Hold on. All right, here we are. John hid his image enhancers. Through the glare of the light and the depths of the shadow, he caught the flicker of reflected optics. Linda used both the brilliant light and the darkness to hide. John angled the banshee to her. He clipped the tether line from his belt to the frame of the banshee and squeezed his thighs tighter onto the seat. When he was 30 meters below, he made visual contact. Linda had the rope coiled around a boot and wrapped around one forearm. She held her sniper rifle in one arm, and John could only surmise she had been firing from such an impossible position. She uncoiled the rope from her boot, swung, released at the arc of the apex, released at the apex of the arc, and fell toward him. John forced the Banshees cowling up against the straining hydraulics and stretched out his arm. His fingers touched hers, and her hand slapped firmly into his gauntlet. He swung her around and over his shoulder. Linda landed in front of him, straddling the seat. John spun the Banshee about and accelerated back to the windows. The craft's forward cowling remained wrenched up and slowed them down. But there was no other way to fix, but there was no other way to fit two people on the craft. Coming in hot, John said over the comm to Fred and Will. Open the door and get ready for a quick exit, Team Blue. Fred's acknowledgement light clicked on. Cortana, breach those airlocks, now! A cacophony of voices filled John's comm. There were so many copies of Cortana speaking at the same time, he couldn't make out anything coherent. Cortana, the airlocks! There was a pop of static. <laughs> Apologies, Chief, Cortana replied. I've spun off a dedicated copy to... to speak with you. John thought she had already made a copy to talk directly with him. What had happened to it? Override the airlock safeties, Cortana. Open the external and repair bay doors. Working on it, Chief. There's too much system comm traffic. So many of us. Near saturated level. 
have to fight to get stand by. An explosion appeared a kilometer away along the far wall. The lotus anti-tank mine became a blossom of flame and black smoke that drifted and diffused and left a spiderweb of cracks on the meter-thick translucent section. But the window held. That lotus anti-tank mine could have sheared through that wall even if it had been reinforced steel. But this wall had remained in one piece. They were stuck inside. Three hundred meters to the window. Cortana! In John's peripheral vision, he saw clouds of banshees and ghost flyers gaining on them now. Cortana, it's now or never. In. Cortana's voice was faint. Intersystem failure. 09834-EE. Global system error. 9845-W. Resetting. Inner doors open. Override in progress. System lockdown. The calm went dead. A hundred meters away, beyond the cracked window, the atmosphere turned white for a split second and then cleared. Spaced every twenty meter along the bay walls, the locked doors were coming open. Beyond, stars shone upon black velvet. Fred and Will's banshees appeared off John's starboard. Uh, canard. Fred and Will's banshees appeared off of John's starboard canard. John pointed, and together they dived, accelerating toward a bullseye pattern of cracks in the translucent portion of the wall. That web of fissures spread. Fingers that stretched and split along the length of the window slowed and stopped. John fired the Banshee's plasma cannons. Fred opened fire as well, and the four blobs of plasma splashed across the glassy surface fifty meters away. The window flexed, crackled, tiny flakes popping off, but the translucent material remained stubbornly intact. John was thirty meters from the surface. He'd have to veer off now or impact upon it. He gritted his teeth and braced himself. Ten meters. The window's smooth surface flashed into a jigsaw mosaic. The squealing of glass over glass filled the air. It shattered. The entire length crumbled and instantly blacked... The entire length crumbled and instantly blasted into the vacuum of space. Swept out by the pressurized atmosphere containing the... Swept out by the pressurized atmosphere filling the interior of the station. John tried to maneuver the Banshee. He bounced into the repair bay, rolled the craft over and upright, fell off, tumbled through the airlock, and drifted away into the darkness of space. He flailed his limbs in the zero gravity, and the, ten and the tether of his belt snapped taut. He recoiled back toward the Banshee. Linda held on with one hand and held out to the other side of him. He climbed back on board and tapped the thrusters to stabilize their pitch and yaw. Behind them, the station vented gas as well as the bodies of Covenant engineers, grunts, jackals, and elites. Clouds of metal junk bled from the ruptures. Tendrils of steam flash-froze into the glittering ice crystals. The Covenant fleet moved as well. Some cruisers closed with the station while others moved away. There were 500 alien warships without leadership from their command and control center, and they reminded John of motes of dust in a sunbeam, silently floating in every direction. John spotted a dropship drifting a kilometer ahead, dead in space. He clicked his comm once again and dropped a nav marker onto a Covenant craft. Fred and Will's acknowledgement lights winked on. 
John pulsed the Banshee's engines once more and let his inertia carry him to the dropship. He had hoped the rest of the Covenant fleet was trying to figure out what had just happened, and not paying any attention to one more piece of debris floating in space. The Banshees gently impacted onto the tumbling dropship. John grasped the hull, and Linda scrabbled over him, opening the port access hatch and entered. Fred and Will drifted closer, and John helped them aboard. He hesitated and took another look at the Covenant fleet. Hundreds of ships without control. But how long would that last? Even if the station's reactor chains blew, the Covenant still had enough force to destroy Earth's defenses and bring it to a cinder. All they had done was buy a little time. As long as it took for someone to charge the as long as it took for someone to take charge of the Covenant fleet. That wasn't enough, but John wasn't sure what else to do. He crawled to the hatch, entered the ship, and sealed it behind him. Linda stood at the pilot's console while Fred stood behind her, manning the ship's op station. An engine schematic appeared in front of Linda, and power pulsed through its plasma coils. The interior lights dimly glowed. "'Where to, Chief?' Linda said. "'Away,' John said, and looked at the system nav display. He pointed to the tiny moon orbiting the nearby planet. Get us into the moon's shadow, but slow. Try not to attract anyone. His countdown timer read 5-12. They might still have time. Roger. The dropship spun around and gently moved away from the station almost imperceptibly accelerating toward the tiny moon covered with black and silver pockmarks. Fred hunched over his console. Thick, spiky lines representing the Covenant F through K bla- Covenant F through K bands fluxed and flickered on his screen. Covenant comms channels are jammed, he reported. Communiques and queries to and from every ship in the fleet, wondering what the hell's going on. And the station's comm channels are just full of copied Cortanas. And she's just repeating those different system error codes. Do I have the wrong person here? I think I do. Okay. It, it's, it's one of those where it doesn't give me who's actually speaking, but John... <laughs> John... Hey, I don't know who it is, but I'll give it a read for both. Communiques and queries to and from every ship in the fleet, wondering what the hell's going on. And the station's comm channels are full of those copied Cortanas, and she's just repeating different system error codes. What's this? John asked, leaning over Fred's shoulder. He pointed to one comm band with only a single spike. Fred looked at the Covenant calligraphy for a long moment, then inhaled sharply. If the translation software is working right, he whispered, that's the E band. It's one of ours. Fred snapped on the uh, Fred snapped on the external speakers. Six tones beeped, stopped, and then repeated. Ali Ali Oxen Free, John breathed. Send the countersign, Fred. Aye, Chief. Sending now. Who could have sent that signal? There was no other living Spartan in this system, unless it was Dr. Halsey and Kelly. Had they somehow tracked them? It's about time you showed up. The drawling voice of Admiral Whitcomb was loud and clear over the comm. Switch to encryption scheme, Rainbow. 
John nodded to Fred, who ran a shunt from the Covenant comm to the Delta to the data pack on the back of his helmet. Decryption online, Fred reported. Admiral, John said. With all due respect, sir, why are you here? Lieutenant Havison suggested we drop out of slip space on the edge of the system, hide in the Oort cloud, and gather a little intel. The Admiral sighed. Well, I took one look and figured if, uh, took out that station. Hell, son, there'd still be a couple of hundred Covenant ships within spitting distance of Earth. Me getting here and warning them about it wouldn't make a lick of difference, so I'm going to do something about it right here and now. You've done your part, Chief. Leave the rest to me. There was a pause. Then the Admiral asked in a low, serious tone. You did get it done. Didn't you, son? You got that station rigged to blow? Yes, sir. John linked his mission timer to the comm. Four minutes, thirty-two seconds and counting. Perfect, Master Chief. Bring him back to the bay. Bring him on back to the barn. Stay on your heading. Your instincts are dead on. We're at the far side of the moon and we're waiting for you. John motioned to Linda to increase their velocity. She pushed the acceleration stripe to three-quarters power. Waiting, sir? We're calm, over and out. The calm went dead. John looked to Will, Fred, and Linda, and they all shrugged. He pushed the acceleration stripe to full velocity, and the dropship entered a high orbit around the splotchy moon, arcing around the far side where the battered Gettysburg waited for them. But only the Gettysburg... Where's Ascendant Justice? John whispered. And there it is. <laughs> Welcome back to the circus, folks. Everyone, thank you so very much for joining me tonight. Dahlia, thank you very much for that sound bite. I appreciate you. Um, it's been a long time since I've heard some of those voices. I need a new, I need a, I, I, I need to take a refresher on those. And it sounds like there might be no better time because, uh, the 20th anniversary, uh, multiplayer just dropped apparently for free. So that's pretty darn wild. Uh, I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. But Dahlia, your timing is excellent. Uh, if y'all are curious about this, uh, that was Halo First Strike. Uh, that is a novel taking place in the Halo universe. Of course, um, that is uh, uh, you know the ex an expansive universe. And if y'all like sort of a, I mean, I think space opera would be a fair a fair um, uh, analysis of this one. Uh, lots of good material there if you are into that sort of thing, which I certainly am. So, folks, thank you a ton. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you, folks. Uh, don't forget, everybody, I stream Tuesdays through Thursdays. You can find me uh, not next week, but the week after doing my thing. If you want to know more about that, the schedule's over on Discord. I'm not going through the whole thing again. Uh, go ahead and hit up these links if you wish. And it sounds like uh, tonight is a good night to raid over to somebody new. Ooh, who is it? Who could it be? Um, let me make sure. Hold on. I just got to check something really quickly. Uh, yeah, let's raid on over. I think that'll be fun. Um, a new raid. Okay, so this is going to be... Let me make sure I got this right. I'm just going to try and copy-paste it if I can grab it. Okay, excellent. I can. Here we go. And what is Crow up to tonight? 
He's got no idea? Okay, fantastic. Yeah, Dahlia, what is Crow up to tonight? What is, uh, what, what, what is, what's the Crow gang doing? Um, and, uh, of course, finally, folks, thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, as I've mentioned, I'm really, really digging Dimension 20. Uh, it is from, uh, Dropout TV slash, like, College Humor. You might know some of those folks, but, um, frankly, I never got into much of their other stuff. I can only tell you that Dimension 20 is absolutely delicious. Uh, it's delightful, it's delirious, it's lovely. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope you will go check it out. Um, he is reading some stories. Fantastic. Well, let's go listen to another reader, gang. Let's go. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. Um, it didn't want to let me do it. Um, hmm, that's pretty weird. Uh, okay, there we go. Now it's working. So there we go. Let's jump on. And we always like more folks reading, huh? Uh, let's go, let's go say hi. Give that hashtag read aloud crowd. <laughs> we haven't used that hashtag in a little while, but uh, yeah, let's let's head on over there. Read aloud crowd. Welcome Crow Valclamore, um, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. And everyone, uh, it's been a delight hanging out with you tonight. I hope you have a fantastic week. Um, I hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving because I won't see you next week. Uh, and then the week after, uh, I look forward to, uh, I mean, I will be announcing our next series uh, before, I, before the next stream. Uh, and now um, I'm going to go get some brownies because I think Mama Cass made some. Everybody, I hope you have a fantastic night. Uh, I'll be in with Crow for a little bit, but uh, yeah, I've, I will see y'all later. Bye-bye.